Our new partner who I'm really, really excited to announce we are working with. Super, super stoked. Thank you, Angie Huberman, for this connect. It's incredible. Uh, AG1 Athletic Greens. I've been using them for a while. I have them every morning on an empty stomach. Basically, take one scoop and you put it into a uh, cup or glass or mug of eight ounces of cold water. And this is all your greens for the day. You're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. Every day I take this, it's so good for my digestion, my energy. It's simple. It's easy. I don't like taking a lot of vitamins. This has been really, really helpful for me. I've had a lot of stomach issues my whole life, and ever since I've been gluten-free and taking the AG1s, it's really helped me in my stomach in the mornings. I love it, and I'm so psyched that they're part of the One Life One Chance podcast. I'm sure a lot of people don't like eating greens, let alone drinking your greens, but I can tell you straight up, it's got a mild tropical taste, and the taste is actually really refreshing, and I really look forward to it each morning. Don't, don't think it's just going to be just straight bland. Um, it tastes really, really good, um, and it's good for you, so remember that. This one blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. It's incredible, just one scoop, especially for musicians who are vegans or just musicians in general who want to get those daily greens. You can get the packets. It's incredible. I just gave some to my friend Derek from Sepultura. He traveled the whole entire world this summer, and he had, he had those every single day. He said it's, it saved him. I bring AG1s with me when I travel. It helps me stay healthy. You know the deal. If you're on tour and you are uh, a picky eater, but you need to have your greens, sometimes catering doesn't have greens. Sometimes you miss the catering. Sometimes you miss the backstage food. Sometimes it's too late after the show to go get food that you like. So if you just have a, a scoop of uh, AG1s in your hotel room before you go to bed or you're in the hotel room at night and you're starving and you want something healthy, boom, life changer. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with some convenient daily nutrition. That's all you need. One scoop in a cup every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. This is it. I'm super psyched. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash OLLC. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash OLLC to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. This is incredible. I love it. It's just basic greens. For me personally, this has changed my life tremendously. I'm not a junk food vegan. I don't eat a lot of fake meat, so I'm strictly, strictly greens. And this has been a wonderful, wonderful new addition to my life. So once again, visit athleticgreens.com slash OLLC. And get one free year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Athleticgreens.com slash OLOC. Yo, yo, Liquid Death, thank you so much for hydrating all my guests, taking care of me and my family and my friends. Love your water, love your brand, love what you stand for, love what you give back to the community. If you want to learn more about Liquid Death and how it started, listen to episode 115 with the co-founder, owner, and creator of Liquid Death, Mike Cesario. Just a punk rock skateboarding kid from Delaware with a dream. It's an incredible story, incredible journey. So if you go liquiddeath.com slash Toby, you get free shipping on any items you order from liquiddeath.com. And if you want to get water, liquid death water, go to amazon.com. But for merchandise and other things that's not water, go to liquiddeath.com slash Toby and get free shipping. Thank you so much, liquid death. Death to plastic, murder your thirst, stay hydrated. You know H2O saves lives. Welcome to the One Life One Chance podcast. I'm your host, Toby Morris. I got my brother from another mother, Mr. Derek Green, next to me once again. Hi, Toby. I love having you. 
I'm not gonna give you too many props because I'm gonna get what? you keep you keep you humble. Thank you. Have a great you. voice, have a great that. vibe together, energy. I love, love you being here. And the glasses look wonderful on you. My glasses look I, wonderful on you. I'm definitely representing. You're sold out glasses. <laughs> yeah. In three days, people Ooh. listening. Woo-hoo. My first glasses drop. Congratulations. Anyway, Joanne Molinaro, thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me, gentlemen. The vegan. Yes. Known to the world as well. Thank you for being here. I'm so excited. Um, Chicago in the house. Shaito. Absolutely. She, she was just saying my house has like Chicago vibes in it. And smell as well. And smell. I but it, like in the very nice, nostalgic, beautiful way. Thank you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Not this stanky old <laughs> yes. housewife. <laughs> yes. That's all that my wife Moon is from Chicago and represents Chicago to the fullest to this day. Right. She'd move back there in a second, but I would wow. never move to Chicago because oh my God. the winter is brutal, and you know that. It is, but so is New York. New York winters are brutal. I know, but it's the Yeah, wind. but it's, it's, the about, it's that lake, the lake effect. Yes. It, I know growing up in Cleveland, so we share mm, some yeah. lake experience. Yeah, and now you're, <laughs> you're lake adjacent. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and now you live in California. I do. I live in the in the valley. Oh my God! Yeah, where it's welcome. Desert hot. Well, hello. <laughs> Ten degrees hotter, right? Yeah. Even today, probably right. It is very, oh very God. warm. How are you liking it so far? We love it. We love the burbs. I lived mm. in the city, city. I live yeah. in Boys Town in Chicago. So to move from there to a decidedly suburban life was quite a nice change of pace for us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And your uh, hubby is from Chicago as well. Yes, yeah. Although he did, he did have a stint in Ohio, not oh Cleveland, my God, but on purpose? In, <laughs> no. I'm, no. Just, I'm just joking. While the he will be the first there. to say no. Yeah. <laughs> He's Ohio. Yeah, um, I always have to ask because I'm like, why? So, so why California after all those years? Being born and raised in Chicago. Well, because of you. We're stalking you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. It's because that wonderful. So let's rewind. So we met at this wonderful dinner, maybe yeah, a year and a half ago at Rich Roll's house. Okay. Um, it was a wonderful dinner, and it was funny because like you had just released your book, maybe. Yeah, it was around. Well, actually, my book would have been coming out in a few months. Okay, so we're talking about her book coming out. Mm-hmm. I have my first children's book coming nice. out. Nice, okay. and right. then we're sitting with somebody else. We found a lady who he was, and he was this huge writer. He reviewed my band in the New York Times. Wow. He has a huge podcast. Writes all these things, and we're all like excited about our things and. It was a great, diverse group of people at the table, and we all met that way. That's nice. right. And I found out, like, your wife, Moon, was from Chicago, that that writer had spent some time in Chicago. There yes. was just a lot of unusual connections at that table. Mm. And I feel like the roles are the one that made that kind of stuff happen, the energy. Well, I think that actually speaks to the answer to your question, why we decided L.A. It's like we're not actually stalking you, but there is some component <laughs> of community that is what really brought us to LA we love Chicago I love Chicago born and raised there I miss Chicago dearly but the community that's focused on health fitness compassion wellness all of those things isn't yet there and it was getting a little bit frustrating and sometimes isolating to just like literally go out to lunch sometimes. I'm like, yeah. there's just like nothing for me to eat here. And the community was so disaggregated. Whereas here going to Rich's house and meeting yeah. so many people who I could just like be at ease with and be like, yeah, I don't need to explain my diet. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> it was really nice. And how many times can you go to the Chicago diner? Yeah. Which well, it's a staple. that's exactly right. We were eating there once or twice a week, which wow. was, it's, you know, not like great. I mean, I love their the food. Diner? It's, it's the one like mainstay vegan okay. restaurant 
in yeah. Chicago. It's okay. old school and it's they're great. But again, I would like a diverse diet. And if it wasn't Chicago Diner, like I didn't have very many other options to go to mm-hmm. in my neighborhood. And that yeah. was kind of frustrating. It's interesting for such a big city, too. Yeah, I would think especially would 2022. Or whatever. Like, I mean, since you moved away, I mean, do you ever feel that? Man, maybe I should be the person to bring. Oh, I was just thinking that too. Like elements, that, you know, so you'd people, be the leader to, of it all. you know, the leader. Yeah, kind I, of like. I thought about that, and of course, I tried in my own way. But right. again, it was almost like Chicago wasn't really ready for me, and mm. I was ready to try something different. I had to always balance what do I need in my own life to what do people need that I can bring them. So it's like a supply and demand situation, but I have my own personal demands and I wanted to spend at least some chunk of my life in a place where I felt extremely at ease and welcomed as opposed to ostracized (laughs) or like uncomfortable. And so that's kind of why I'm here. And for the most part, it's certainly lived up to its invitation, which was, hey, we get to eat vegan all the time. Anywhere. No one's, Yeah, no one's going to give me a weird look for being like, hey, do you have the thing with the tofu instead of the yeah. chicken? <laughs> you know, like that's just not a weird thing here. Whereas yeah. in Chicago, yeah. it would have been like, what? What is tofu? <laughs> like LA, LA is the mecca for veganism for sure. Coming Definitely. from New York too, I mean. There's a lot of restaurants there now. I've been, lived there many years, but when we go back, there's always a new spot. But No doubt. And there's a lot of places that may not be vegan, but they're really apt at making great one dish on options. their menu options, which yeah. usually end up being the best. Yeah. Yeah. Because they really want to show you that they yeah. can do that as well. And they don't have to, yeah, they can focus on that one dish that, you know, <laughs> don't, don't. F it up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Right. So how was it growing up in Chicago? Chicago. Chicago is beautiful. It was safe. We lived in a suburb. We grew up, I would say from the age of zero to three, we lived in Chicago, Chicago. We lived lived in, geez, I don't even remember, I would say Ravenswood area. And then we moved to Skokie when I was four, lived there, and then moved to Wilmette, I think when I was in junior high. And then, so it was always suburban. I didn't move into the city city until my divorce. That was when I was like 34, 35. Wow. So it was a really safe, lovely childhood. It's like when you think of Leave It to Beaver, like I literally thought Leave It to Beaver lived across from my street. Like wow. that's the, was it yeah. like a very diverse neighborhood? It was. was it? Yeah, there was a Japanese-American uh-huh. young girl my age who lived around the block. We would ride bikes together. My best friend, Sally O, who was Korean-American, she lived five blocks from me. Nice. So it was a really diverse neighborhood. Skokie was... Kind of like up and coming in terms of a suburb. And so it was a great place for a young immigrant family to settle down. My parents bought their house for like, I don't know, like $55,000 or something like that. It was like a ranch house. And my grandma, she was so excited. So your parents were from Korea, South Korea? Yeah. Well, so they immigrated from South Korea. They were both born in what is now known as North Korea, but yeah. they they immigrated from South Korea. And my grandmother came, both my grandmas came, but my mom's mom, she's a farmer. So 
seeing a house with a backyard and a plot of soil was just a dream for her. And that was my childhood. It was super safe. I always think about the screen door of our Skokie house as kind of this moniker of safety and nostalgia and, and beauty and family because it was what sort of fenced out the larger world that I didn't know of at the time while also keeping in some of that really beautiful safety that my grandmother created for us. Yeah. Were your parents strict? Yes, my parents, especially because I was the first child and because I was a girl. I wasn't allowed to have sleepovers or go to other people's homes like that. I wasn't allowed to watch much TV. I was only allowed one hour a day. And was it Leave it to Beaver? No, it, I mean, it was a lot of Leave it to Beaver. That wasn't like necessarily on a list, but my mom definitely had a list of programs I wasn't allowed to watch. Like wow. I was not allowed to watch 90210. What? <laughs> Such a great show. That was teaching so many kids. I know. I have watched it since, but I was not allowed to watch it. Wow. There are my parents are super strict and I had to there was this rule that she said, what did she say? She said, You gotta do your homework, but then you also have to do work for the next day so like so she would she would be preview review and preview that's what she called it so i'd have to do the homework but then she also made me do all of the math problems for the next chapter that hadn't been assigned yet (laughs) wow were you good at math i was good enough my father tutored me in math since i was four so oh, between awesome. the ages of four and I would it's say freshman year yes. in high school, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we did a lot of math in my house. Siblings? How many siblings? I have one younger brother. Okay. Wow, man. Damn. So it was just school. It was a lot of studying. My my parents emphasized that a lot with me, not so much with my little brother. I think partly because he was the second child and also because he was a boy. Mm. And for me, they, they just were so anxious all the time about yeah. keeping me close to home and making sure I wasn't subjected to bad influences or like get pregnant, I guess. <laughs> they were just right. like really nervous about me. So I, I was kept like at home a lot. I was allowed to do extracurricular activities like orchestra and math club and Latin club. My big rebellion was doing musical theater. <gasps> God forbid. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but we had a huge fight about that, too. In junior year, I was forbidden from doing musical theater and acting. <laughs> wow. Were you allowed to listen to music? I was allowed to listen to music, but... No Backstreet Boys. So my taste in music is unusual. Okay. I, I think I just... I was never really subjected to pop culture very much, other than New Kids on the Block, from the age of like 10 to 11, I was obsessed with New Kids on the Block. Great, they're awesome. That was it. Everything else I knew was classical music. So yeah, or like my dad's weird folk music that he listened to, (laughs) (laughs) like Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was just expecting something radical. No, no, no. Like that was weird to me. Like, like (laughs) sound of silence all the time in our house and stuff like that. But other than that, I didn't listen to rock or anything like that. My parents once made the mistake of buying me like an (laughs) ACDC like tape because 
they were like they went to the nearest coconuts. You guys remember coconuts? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I totally remember coconuts. Oh so they went to the coconut store and they didn't know what to buy me. So they asked the girl, like, hey, we have a, a junior high seventh grader. What should we buy her for her birthday? <laughs> so they awesome. bought me an A C D C tape. That is so random. I know. <laughs> So anytime I got mad at my parents, I would blast that tape like a full oh, blast. Was it back in black or something? Yeah, something like that. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah, wow. back in black. That's good. Let's yeah. Get it. And I was just like, I would blast That's it. Hilarious. And I, I like didn't really like the music, but I was like, this is my F you to my parents. Yes. Wow. <laughs> Thank you, yeah. Yes. It, it was a, an excellent tool. It's crazy they called and asked what would be the good No, they I didn't like, call. They oh, went to the okay. store and they spoke to the young wow, lady there like, and they got that. I know. That I person know. was who just did it as a joke. <laughs> no, they were giving probably the truth at that time. That she was, was like clearly banging. a big fan. Yeah. She's a clear, yeah. Wow. So they were, needless to say, they were very traditional, your parents. Yeah. In many ways they were, but in many other ways they were not. My mm. mother was the breadwinner of our house mm-hmm. by a, mar- a significant margin, and my dad seemed to be pretty cool with that. Right. <laughs> so, um, so there was that. My mother also spoke fluent English. My, both my parents speak fluent English, but right. my mother spoke it without an accent. And mm. at the time, when you're growing up, that can yeah. make a huge difference because it meant that the language barrier or even a perceived one which I certainly had with my father didn't exist and language barriers can prevent much more than the communication just strict superficial communication it can prevent or impede emotional communication and I didn't really have that with my mom I often Uh, thought of her as sort of my peer as opposed to just my mother and that was good but it could also be bad. Yeah. So your how's your Korean? My Korean's horrible oh. now. It's okay. very, very bad. It used to be, according to my mother, beautiful. Oh. She said that I spoke beautiful Korean. It was my first language because mm-hmm. I was raised by yeah. my grandmother and she didn't speak English. Yeah. But by the time I got to kindergarten, it just like oh, that early on. drained wow. out of me. Wow. Yeah. So your parents weren't speaking at home to each other? In- they did, but in Korean. But the thing is, I so rarely saw my parents together I feel like even in my memory my oldest memories always involve my grandmother because she really either my mother's mother or my father's mother both of whom ended up living with us and raising me and my brother until we were probably around 14 Uh, I was 14 so when I think about what many people think about from their childhood in terms of their formative years and who raised them I always think about my grandma's my mom was there but she was always working and my dad worked nights so he worked Mm. from like one in the morning till 10 in the morning what did they do I'm sorry so my mother was a nurse in the emergency room and my father worked for the United States Postal Service and because he was working in the middle of the night he was sleeping during the day so I didn't really see him very much Mm -hmm. Wow. Were you tight with your brother? Yes. My brother was and remains my best friend. That's amazing. Yeah. He's my best friend. That's amazing. Um, So school, so like basically kind of no no social life during high school, no dating, none of that stuff. So that's not true. (laughs) 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 I would say one of my vices since I was a young person was boys. I was very into boys and that drove my mom crazy. (laughs) My mom was always like, you're not allowed to date until college. I mean, that was like a very strict rule in my house. But I always found a way... to do what I wanted to do with the boys. And so I was 
I had a very robust social life, notwithstanding my parents' attempts to put boundaries around mm -hmm. what that would look like. Mm -hmm. And that just meant that I had to be very good at playing the part, which was, all right, I'll bring home the grades. I'll study really hard. I'll take all the AP classes and I'll even give up on my curricular activities, but not all of them, I guess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I get it. So sneaking out the window and stuff like that? There was a lot of sneaking wow. out the back door or sneaking yeah. in, sneaking people in. The back. <laughs> I'd be terrified. Hopefully right my now. mom's not going to listen to this. And you never got this. close to getting caught ever? No, there were times when she caught me, but she didn't call me out on it. Like there were times where she was like, what's that thing on your neck? And I'd be like, oh, oh. no, you know, I just like hurt myself. <laughs> Sorry, Amma. She knew. Wow. She right, knew, right. but moms she wouldn't. That. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Wow. So, um. You graduated, obviously, high school. And then what were your goals? What, were you, what you want to do? So in high school, I thought I wanted to be a teacher hmm. because I loved school so much. And so many of the more important people in my life, the adults in my life, were also teachers. My father tutored me until I was 14. So awesome. I was used to that environment. And I loved to read and I loved to write. So I thought I would be an English teacher. But for some reason, I didn't major in education. I decided to major in English and I wanted to double major in vocal performance because I really wanted to be a singer. My parents were not supportive of my musical yeah. endeavors. Unless it was <laughs> violin, they were not going to get behind it. So they were like, we'll only pay for your college if you major something other than the arts. Whoa. And so, yeah, so I had to major in English. I wanted to be a singer though. So the original plan was to go to a music school. I applied to a bunch of music schools and I got into some pretty good conservatories, but my parents couldn't afford to send me to like Oberlin or something mm -hmm. like Oberlin, that. Oh. Yeah. So nice. instead of going to Oberlin, I went to U of I, which is an in-state public school because I knew the tuition wouldn't be very high. And I thought, well, I can take voice lessons while I'm there and eventually get into the music school if that's what I still want to do. Mm. But once I got to college, you know, being an adult was so scary. And I was like, I'm, I don't know if I have what it takes to be an artist. It's a really, really scary life. And I had been yeah. raised to be so risk averse. Right. It was just like really frightening. And then, of course, I met the first boy I ever fell in love with at that time. And everything just kind of <laughs> fell off the rails. then. <laughs> and I was like, I just want to get the heck out of school so I could be with my boyfriend. Cause wow. you know, so right. then the whole double major thing was just like not an option. Cause I would have had to been in school for five years. And at the time, all I could think about was graduating. So I just really doubled down on English figured I like it enough and I can figure out what I want to do on the back end. Yeah. What was your inspiration for singing? Well, my father is a singer. He loves to sing. Oh. We also have other musicians in my family. My aunt, my father's younger sister, was a professional singer in Korea. Oh, wow. So music was always part of our lives. I was always like trotted out in front of church when I was like two or three years old and made to sing. And they're like, oh, this, you know, little girl has such a beautiful <laughs> voice and blah, blah, blah. So. <laughs> 
Singing was just a huge part. So I don't understand why weren't they supportive? Like if you had like such an incredible voice at a young age and you had family members. Because music's not a career to people. It's not money making. You're not going to make money. There's no proven career path in Korea Mm -hmm. for a singer. Nowadays, maybe it's a little different. I remember when Psy became really big, my my dad told my brother, why don't you do something like Psy? (laughs) (laughs) Like that was a viable career path now. (laughs) Oh my God. I mean, you'll think about music. You know what I mean? Like, even to this day, even with like all the success. And oh, I know. And but I mean, it just seems that it made you so happy. You know? Oh, they like don't you- care about that. <laughs> <laughs> they, happiness? No. Happiness was like way on the bottom of the donut bowl. Yeah, they just wanted me to be safe. And I understand right. that because they live so much of their lives in poverty and, and starvation. Right. They, they, I mean, so happiness was like, yeah, it would be great if you had happiness, but let's just keep you alive first. <laughs> so uh, that was their priority. Yeah. Right, right. Wow. So so are you working jobs and stuff when you're going to school? Yeah. So I started my first part-time job when I was 12. And so I, wow. <laughs> I had to get a special dispensation from school because I think it was like child labor laws or something like Absolutely. that. <laughs> yeah. So I started working at 12. I became, at that time I was working as like a, kind of like a, an assistant, an administrative assistant for some dude. And it was really bad. I remember wait, I would wait, like. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it already sounded. Really it was really bad. Sketchy. It Some was sketchy. Yeah. Oh my god. I didn't know it was sketchy at the time. Did your parents were they like? No. Because no? it was through school. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. They like got the job notice through school, and I got the job, and I was entering data onto a computer and sorting through the guy's mail. And I remember every day he would just get porno in his mail. And I was like, and you're 12. Yeah. And I was like, this is something weird. Like, I don't know how I feel about this, but you know, I was raised to never complain, never say anything to adults. You do what you're told. So I just like kept doing what I was told until I got so uncomfortable. I finally quit. So that didn't last very long. Right. Yeah. And it was really uncomfortable though. That is especially at 12. You see, you know what I mean? Like, it might be the first time you even saw stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, it was not good. It was like really strange. And then I got a job as a co-host at Eduardo's Pizza. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> a co-host? Yes. Like I was the person who said, welcome to Eduardo's Pizza. Or I'd pick up the phone and be like, hi, I'm Joanne. What can I order for you? And they would tell me what their <laughs> order would be. And then I would make the antipasto salads in the back. And I became the fastest at making antipasto salads. <laughs> Wow. I excelled in every environment. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so, obviously, tradition-wise, was there lots of meat in your life growing up, too, as well, right? For sure. I mean, well, no, I should say from an American diet perspective, yeah. yes. From a Korean diet perspective, not really. Like, I don't remember lots of meat because meat is expensive. And my my family was so frugal. So, we only had meat for, like, special occasions. Like, when we would eat Korean barbecue, like people think Korean food, oh, it's just Korean barbecue all the time. We would only have Korean barbecue like, I don't know, seven, eight times a year. Like it wow. wasn't a big thing because it was so expensive to do that. So for special occasions, we'd go out to the beach and we'd have a barbecue or something like that. Yeah. Most of the time, my grandmother would just make food from our backyard, which is just like, you know, peppers, perilla leaves and 
corn, tomatoes, like whatever she could get from our backyard would fill out our plates during the mealtime. And so like, I don't remember lots of meat. I remember more like lots of stews and vegetables and things like that. I don't think they were vegan because fish and fish sauce and those types of things are so endemic of Korean cuisine, but it wasn't meat centric. I feel like it was much more vegetable forward in, at least in my childhood until I got to like high school and college when I was like, no, I want to eat ham sandwiches (laughs) and stuff like that. Bologna sandwiches. I ate bologna all the time. Were you you learning how to cook? at young no. age too and no, no. no. it wasn't until later yeah. so you're kind of rebellious like you said I mean bologna sandwiches <laughs> I'm dating boys <laughs> like the more strict parents can be as a parent thinking about that true you want to rebel, so you want to do the totally com- opposite completely the opposite my parents were like yeah you can do whatever you want and I was like not dating Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) Not at all. See? (laughs) It was just a nerd. Reverse psychology. Reverse psychology. Yeah. It was like, all right. And I have that with Max with the communication, the trust. Like from day one, we have communication. So Max would, like I say, he texts us from school, hey, all my friends are skipping the last period. Can I skip? Nobody else are texting their parents asking if they can skip a class. <laughs> so but he'd run it by his first. Like, yeah, sure, he can do that. And like, just knowing, like, we know where you're at. We know you're safe. We know you're at a party. We know you don't drink. And just that communication. Because once you, you have the trust, right? Like you said, your parents, like, do what you want because they trusted you. And you right. don't want to don't, don't let them down and do something crazy. Exactly. Right? You start to get that feeling of guilt like mm. yeah i think you know? my mom tried to cultivate that later right but to your point by that time it was kind of too late because yeah, yeah. you there had already been so much mistrust or nope. distrust like <laughs> throughout my life that i was like no i'm not going to tell you what i'm doing like mm. if you know you're just going to have to live in ignorance until i'm ready for it <laughs> <laughs> so when did you hold you when you moved out I was 24, wow, 25. Okay. It was like right before I got married because my parents didn't want me to live with a man until I was married. What, so they were pretty religious as well? Oh, like, yeah. My mom okay, is super yeah. religious. Got very it, like, it, yeah. yeah. So I wasn't really allowed to live with my fiance until like right before the wedding. Wow. Yeah. Okay, all right. So 24, wow. Yeah, I think yeah, 24 or 25, though. something like that, yeah. Still a lot of rules to live by. Oh, I had a curfew until that time, too. <laughs> you had a curfew in your 20s. I was not allowed to stay out past 1 a.m. Yeah, it's their house. You it's know. their house. That, yeah, that was yeah. that. She's like, as long as you're under my roof, right. you have to come home at 1 a.m. Yeah. Do you have to pay rent too there? No. no. So that's very anti-Korean. <laughs> like, yeah, they would never do that uh, to, to yeah, their to I, their kids, especially their daughter. To their kids, though. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that's good in some really? ways. Really? Yeah. Tell me why. I think it's a way to learn responsibility, and it's mm. real life. You know, yeah. it's like, yo, you know, you had a great. I hope you enjoyed your time. Had a great run. Good run. Had a good run. Made a good now. run together. <laughs> <laughs> now you're 18 and a half. So yeah, it's like you know, at least maybe not half the rent or anything like that, but maybe you know, some a little something, in. something. Yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. like mm-hmm. something. Like how we have Max paying for his car insurance. Yeah, or like yes. pay for a utility. Like yeah, you got to pay yeah. for high speed yeah. internet or something. Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> something you know, like because yeah. the world isn't like that where you're just like casually like. I mean, to be able to have your parents, that's such a beautiful thing. And it is, I think you man. have a better appreciation of that when you're chipping in. You know. What about chores? You had a lot of chores? Not a lot. My parents' main thing was like, your job school. is school. And so the only chore that I had was on Saturday morning, I was required to empty all the garbage cans in the house. Okay. That was it. So it wasn't that bad. Make your bed? 
No, like literally my parents were just like not that strict about that. But on the other hand, my mom would go through these like weird spells. Like, you know how like when I don't know as a parent, Max is like an angel, but I don't know if as a parent you ever felt like frustrated with everything, not just being a parent, but with all the things that are happening with all the responsibilities of being an adult. And when my mom felt that way, when she was overwhelmed, she would start to clean And so her clean was like rage clean. She was like rage cleaning the house. And so I always started to feel really anxious when my mom started to clean the house because I knew like if I step one toe out of turn, she's going to lose her shit and she's going to yell at us or she's going to get mad at us. And so now like Anthony is really into cleaning and I've had to tell him, I'm like, I'm sometimes triggered by your cleaning because I I'm automatically get anxious every time I see someone cleaning like my mom is about to yell at us about mm-hmm. something. It's interesting you say that because I do notice that about I'm, I'm going to put my wife on blast right now. I do <laughs> notice about my wife is she comes home, she's stressed from a job, right? And we're trying to sit down and watch one of our shows and she's cleaning everything around the TV, every knickknack, everything in that <laughs> living room. And I'm like, can't you just sit down? She goes, no, I can't. And sometimes she'll stay up all night and clean to like 2 or 3 in the morning. Oh my this goodness. whole house like yeah. I wake up and this place would be spotless. I'm like, that's amazing you did that, but like, take some time to sit down. But I know it's it's definitely gonna be like stress or like just your yeah. release. Yeah, I haven't thought about that. Yeah, so I didn't think about it either. <laughs> the time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I just did. I just tried to get out of her way as much as possible. But now, in retrospect, I realize it had very little to do with me and my brother. Mm. Yeah, she has a way to get it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is Parenting you, is hard. Like that too. Do you clean a lot? And- I do now. I mean, once I had. Uh, my son and I was living with like a baby and my ex it's very different in Europe my ex is European and from Czech Republic and the re- and her mother was a clean freak mm. and she would yell at her and it kind of passed on to her ah. but it, it's, it's definitely I completely understand the you know this obsession you know there's yeah. something's going on and my ex was like that her mother was like that and I was just like stepping on eggshells at times you know walking yeah. around like oh man here we go like something's going on but it's it's a weird thing but now it's kind of passing on me i like to have everything super super clean and with you know having a baby i never thought about all those things like mm. you can't leave it like this you can't be that dirty anymore <laughs> and i was like i got it i got it you know and then you inspired me to start making the bed more yes that's how you were raised yeah like yeah leaving the house with like a bed made yes and coming home to that something it, it just feels good you know mm-hmm. and it's also discipline that it's like oh, i don't really want to but it's just like kind of the start today and getting into a routine which is extremely important you know it's it's structure structure exactly yeah. Yeah. for the mental just yeah. Every, yeah 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 well exactly huh. yeah all right okay. so okay so <laughs> You go to law school soon after that. Like, like why, why become a lawyer? Like, with that. So I, as I mentioned, when I got to college, I just you have all a great voice, by the way, in the oh, microphone. Thank you. It's so soothing. Thank you. It's very soothing. Oh well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad the mosquito well, was gone. <laughs> yes, okay, the go mosquito ahead. is at least uh, I'm protected from it. But <laughs> I went to I went to college, and as I mentioned, I met my first husband there, and I was totally besotted and head over heels. Mm-hmm. He graduated within a semester. So I only had a very short period of time with him. And therefore, all I could think about was getting out of school. So I graduated in three years. I 
actually wow. discovered halfway through my freshman year that I had started as a sophomore. I didn't know that. So I had so nice. many credits from high school that transferred into college credits that I was considered a sophomore. That's so I decided cool. to take advantage of that for a lot of reasons, mostly just to be with my boyfriend, but also because it meant a year's worth of tuition that I could save my parents from having to pay. Nice. Very nice. So, yeah. yes. Nice so yeah, very nice. <laughs> I graduated in three years. The problem that happens when you're so focused on just exiting school is that you don't necessarily think about what happens at the other end. And I certainly didn't. It was like maybe a few months before graduation that I realized I have no plan. I, I don't know what I'm going to do after graduation. I think now is around the time that I should be looking for a job. So I graduate from college. I have no job. And I'm. This is back in the day. There's not really like internet the way that we think of it. It was yeah, still yeah. dial up and stuff like that. So I literally got the Chicago Tribune and the classifieds with the blue marker, and I was circling ads for jobs. And I finally got a job as a resume writer for a large outplacement firm in the city. Okay. And so all I did was look at the files of high executives who've been laid off from the big fortune 200 companies and I just wrote their resumes. So it was a really great way for me to see like what's out there in terms yeah. of corporate America. I had still harbored some notion of becoming a teacher, but then I just got kind of tempted and lured by, you know, getting on the Metro and getting off at my stop and walking around with corporate America into these big high rise buildings. <laughs> I, I, I got what, what year did you graduate high school? I was um, oh, 1997. Wow. Yeah, we were working we, across from each other. In New York that time. Really? I was selling yeah. shoes. He was selling clothes in yeah. Soho. Oh, okay. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's Just amazing. So a, okay. So. Yeah. So that like it it was a it was a different time mm -hmm. than it is today. Yeah, of course. So I was like, all right, I just want to be a corporate Joe, literally. Mm -hmm. So I started looking at all these resumes that I was writing for these clients, and one day I was assigned the file of a lawyer. And I was looking at her file and her resume, and she made $45,000 a year. And really? I remember I had taken a home ec class in high school, and I had done the math. And I was like, I could live comfortably on $45,000 a year. Yeah, yes. Sure. Yeah. I could own my own small car, pay my insurance, go to vacation in California <laughs> once a year. Wow. That was the plan. And I was like, okay, this is it. I should just be a lawyer. Yeah. I don't want to be a business person because I can't sell shit. And I... <laughs> <laughs> but then it's more school. But I liked school. It was uh, school was safe. Okay. I'm good at school. Got it, got it. I'm not okay. good at adulting. So were you scared? Of the, were you scared of the real world at that point? A little bit to prolong. Just keep saying. Absolutely. Okay, I okay, needed I something. I was still living with my parents yeah, and all okay. this stuff. So I decided law school was great for me. My mom had always said, "You're so rebellious and you're n so disobedient. You should be a lawyer." That's what she always said. Mm. So I was like, "All right." So this they is were stoked. Yeah, they well, I didn't tell them for a long time because I was really worried that they would be like, why are you doing this? Or that they would put too much pressure on me yeah. to okay. succeed. And I, you know, getting into law school is not easy. Right. And so I didn't tell them until like right before the LSAT. And then my mom was like, oh my God, why didn't you tell me? Blah, 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 blah. But, and she also told me, don't even bother trying unless you get into the top two law schools in Chicago. <laughs> That's my mom. 
Wow. <laughs> she's really like she's a lovely lady. You'll meet you you're gonna meet sure. her and you'd be like, Oh my god, she's like the nicest lady in the whole world, but she was total like psychological warfare <laughs> against me and my but, brother. But wanting the best for you and you know, be obviously in her you know I mean? definition, yes. She always wanted the best for us. Yeah, she was protecting you and Yes. Maybe protecting a little too much as far as like keeping you away from the world. She has she had a lot of unresolved anxiety mm. springing from the trauma she suffered in her own childhood. Very understandable. Yeah. It's I'm sure that there are things from your past that come to life as a parent. Totally. And that happened to her very regularly. At the time, of course, I had no idea. But in retrospect, she was so anxious about protecting me from the pains that she had suffered as a child that she was being overbearing, mm -hmm. totally strict, and in many ways causing a rift that wasn't necessary. Mm. But, you yeah. know, now as an adult, I see all of that and we don't have any of that anymore. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. So now, now, you're, now you're a lawyer. Yes. So I went to <laughs> law school. I got into law school. I got into the top two per my mom's suggestion. Wow. And so I got it in Chicago. I wasn't leaving Chicago because my then fiance, my husband was there. So I was like, I'm not leaving Chicago. What was he doing? Yeah, he was a social worker at the time. Okay. So he majored in psychology and he was a social worker. And uh, our plan was to get married as soon as we could. S or not as soon as we could, but eventually. And I wasn't leaving him again. I'd already had to have what I viewed as a long distance relationship for the two and a half years I was in college after he'd left. And I that had traumatized me like so yeah. badly. I was like, I'm not doing that. So my options are very limited. But luckily, I got into both of the schools I really wanted to and ended up going to U of Chicago, which was awesome school. Yeah. And what kind of lawyer were you? Yeah. I became a litigator, a commercial litigator. It was funny. I'm not big on confrontation. It causes me intense anxiety. Sure. But at the same time, I'm very argumentative. So I thought when I started as an intern that I would be a transactional lawyer. I'm like, I'm more about bringing people together than I am fighting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So okay. I was like, mergers and acquisitions, that's what I should be. And I did one deal during my internship and I was like, this is the most boring shit ever. I, I, can't, I can't do this, this is so boring. And where I really came to life was the mock trial program over the summer and I was like, mm. now this I could get behind. And that's why I became a litigator. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. remember like your first case? Mm, I don't remember my first case, but I do remember a case from when I was a baby lawyer. It was about a staircase. This very, very rich man ordered a contractor to come in and build a beautiful wooden staircase. Mm -hmm. And it cost him $20,000 for this staircase. And the staircase started to come apart because he had these huge windows and the sun would just the sunlight would stream in through these floor to ceiling windows and would melt the glue that held the staircase together. Wow. And so all the pegs started popping off and the staircase became very dangerous. Like mm -hmm. you couldn't walk up the staircase. So he sued the contractor. He sued the general contractor. He sued everyone spent like probably 10 times as much as it cost him to get the staircase in the first place. Yeah. And we ultimately ended up winning. Wow. <laughs> wow. Nice. That's an interesting case. Yeah. 
very yeah. interesting. Perfect case for a first year right. commercial litigator, like just to cut my teeth on the law. You were working for a law firm? Yes, I still work for that law firm. Oh, same law firm? Mm-hmm. Nice. Wow. Mm-hmm. How many years now? 18 years. Whoa. I know. I know. I picked a good one. That's incredible. Yeah. And so are you doing the same kind of work out here? No, I don't. Your life's so different now. Yeah, I don't do much legal work anymore, although I have been taking a bunch of continuing legal education classes in the past month because my deadline is rearing itself. But other than that, I don't practice very much. I consult with my firm every once in a while when they need something or if there's a legacy client that requires my attention. Wow. I want to start throwing some of these things in there. Were you you always a runner too? Were you running? No. No. Wow. I hated physical activity. Yeah, I thought about that because in school you didn't talk about sports or nothing. No, I hated physical activity. I My dad forced me to play tennis when we were little kids, and that made me very unhappy about okay. physical yeah. activities. So that was in tennis. <laughs> yeah, my dad made me play tennis a lot, like to the point where I was like, this is ridiculous. He would literally bring us out in wintertime, and there would be no net in the tennis court, <laughs> and we would still be required to play. Wow. That's how hardcore he was. He would call it our exercise. It's it was pretty good exercise, though. It is really good yeah. exercise, and I appreciate it in retrospect. But at the time, it was just another thing like math tutoring, where I hated my dad's guts for making me do it. So was not into physical activity. And then, for a good chunk of my relationship with my first husband, I was very unfit, very overweight. Really? Yeah, I was 190 pounds. Whoa! <laughs> I was very. Much larger. No, it was not good for me. It was wrong for me because it didn't do a lot of. It did a lot of bad things for my health. It was hard for me to move. At I mean, at that size, I mean, I'm only five feet tall. So it's it was hard for me, and I couldn't like even get up the stairs without having to stop because I was so out of breath. Oh my god! But when you're that stressed out, I was a practicing attorney at that time. I was working a lot, and so. The easy answer was always McDonald's and Taco Bell, Ooh. and that's oh, basically Lord. what I subsisted yeah. on for many that's years. That's nothing like how you grew up either, because you were sheltered from exactly. that type right. of food for sure. Awesome. Well, yes, that's exactly right. When I got to college, and it was like free you can eat all. exactly. It was yeah. a total free for all: pizza, like pizza hamburgers, and pancakes. Dominoes. Exactly, pancakes. waffles. You were waffles. Oh, oh totally! I gained thirty-five pounds my freshman year. <laughs> Because I was just like, I can eat everything that I was never allowed to eat all of a sudden. And it was part of the meal plan. So it was just nonstop eating. And it set me up in so many ways for a lot of problems with food later on in life. Mm. And so what what was a point where you decided to... Was there a turning point? Yeah, was it turned by running and become a vegan, all that was... So my first, quote, diet um, started when I was a freshman in college because I came home and my family was very concerned like, what happened? about exactly about my size. And they made it very clear that it wasn't acceptable. And so, yeah, uh, yeah. Even harder. so and again, this I don't say these things. Like, I don't want anyone to think my parents are mean or anything. They loved me and they protected me. And this was as much for my own sake. They were were concerned. They were worried about my health, but they were also worried in Korea, like my parents would not have been okay. And so they were worried about people criticizing me and judging me for my size, even if they didn't. So they were like, you need to lose weight. So 
that was my first crash diet. I went on Lean Cuisine, you know, the <laughs> frozen the TV cuisine. dinners. So I was like all I ate, Lean, lean Cuisine, like all the time. And Whoa. then I would run a lot on the treadmill and it was at a 4% incline. And I I didn't know it at the time, but that was the default setting of our treadmill. So this whole time I'm running at 4% incline, not realizing that this isn't flat. And then I remember like one day, like years later, I was like, wait, what is this button? <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I've been running in this hill for like years on this treadmill. But yeah, wow. so that was the beginning. I lost a lot of weight. Okay. How old were you then? I was probably 19. Okay. Wow. I lost a lot of weight, gained it back. Lost it. That was my first real major diet. But mm. I had experimented with all sorts of different kinds of diets. So you went beyond lean cuisine. Oh, yeah. yeah. We right. did all sorts of things, and, and we being me right. during those years. <laughs> like My mom would be like, you should go on the vinegar diet. Well, oh. all you do is eat vinegar every wow. day. Or like uh, try the... There was this one other diet where she was like, it was like the grape diet or like yeah. weird things like that. that. Yeah. yeah. So I had to do all of those. And my mom was always like, you just need to lose 10 more pounds. Just lose 10 more pounds. And if I, I mean, but that conversation of losing 10 pounds started when I was probably three or four, like as for okay. my whole life, basically. Uh, yeah. Just okay. lose 10 more pounds. Just lose 10 more pounds. Right. I was never skinny Asian. I was always around chubby Asian. Mm. And I think that was so hard for my mom because she's skinny Asian. And mm. she was worried for me that I would be... Your brother? No. My brother was also larger. Like we have the same body type, but he's a boy. And uh, they're like, you can get away with that okay. as a boy. He's, he's just husky. He's he's strong, <laughs> right. you know. He's yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. but the terminology husky. Exactly. Yeah. There's there is terminology for for boys, right. not applicable to girls. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I see. Wow. I see. So, so it seems like a lot of pressure. Just yeah, it started early. Grades on. for everything for mm -hmm. all that. Being the perfect girl in a Korean household can definitely be a lot of pressure, but yeah. at the same time, like I said, I had a lot of safety, mm -hmm. a lot of fun. Totally. You know, it was like you know we did the whole thing like ride our bikes around the block we did hide and seek played tag swing contests you know there were like all of that stuff my right. childhood was still wonderful and i mean with the lean cuisine and everything you it, you hadn't thought about being plant-based no okay so there was one time in law school or maybe even after law school i can't remember i talk about it on my own podcast i can't remember i was doing the research like going back but so i don't remember but there was one time after we watched this movie called Instinct. Have you guys yeah, seen that? that? Yeah. So we watched that movie, my brother and I, and we were both like, okay, we're going vegetarian. Really? Like, yeah, we were so moved by that movie. But leading up to that, my brother and I always had this almost crippling love of animals. Like we knew it could hurt us to, to watch animal suffering. Yeah. And so we, I knew that about myself as well. And so when we watched that movie, I just remember like curling up into fetal position after watching that movie and just crying and crying and like hating the world. And so my brother and I went vegetarian for like a week. But back then, <laughs> like that meant like eating portobello mushrooms like every right. day. You know, yeah, there was yeah, just yeah. like nothing available. I mean, I know, Derek, you've been a long time vegetarian right. and, and so have you, yeah. Toby. So you obviously figured a way out of it. We didn't. And also growing up in a Korean household, it just wasn't like we weren't conversant in that kind of 
thinking and right. language. Mm-hmm. And so we gave up after like one too many portobello mushroom burgers. <laughs> like, and I can't I, do this anymore. You would be dead, Toby. Yeah, he's, hate, he hate hates mushrooms. mushrooms. Uh, that's like all we ate for like a week. It's <laughs> <laughs> good protein. I love uh, yeah. Maybe that's something mushroom. I need to like overcome soon. Really I think so, man. Yes. Definitely. I think with, you know, Amaz, they have a little mushroom you didn't know and you like it. Yeah. If you fry it, it'll taste good. Portobello is Portobello is the mushroom. That episode is why I went vegan on your podcast, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So and people can listen to that and Right, right. So Okay. After, is it after you and your man split up that you you change your life in a different direction? That's actually very astute of you to predict. I, <laughs> Toby, you know, you are like, you're such nunchi. <laughs> um, so I, I left my husband, we separated my first husband and How long are you together? we were together. See, I met wow. him. So I started dating him my freshman year in college. So that would have been 1997. Wow. We divorced in two, we separated in 2013, divorced in 2014. So we were together for some time. I mean, at that point, it was nearly half my life, right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe half my life. So after I separated from him, I took some time to just not care about fitness or health because I was so depressed and I was mm-hmm. so sad and scared. But then at a certain point, I think in January of 2014, I decided, all right, I've been scrolling on Instagram and I saw some fitness influencer and I was like, I could do this. I got I to get my shit together. <laughs> and I, I remember like my fiscal year at the firm ends in February. On February 1 is the beginning of the new fiscal year. So until like January, until I met my hours, you know, there's a billable hours requirement at large law firms. Once I'd met my hours, I was like, okay, now I have no excuse. Like I really need to focus on my health. So that was when I decided to radically change kind of my view on what clean eating meant. Now, by that time, I had done yo-yo dieting. I had many plastic surgeries. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'd been through... Really? Oh, yeah. I'd been through a lot of different things when it came to body dysmorphic disorder, but wow. I really wanted to try something sustainable, and that's when I started making some big changes. It wasn't sustainable. They were just as bad as all of the bad habits that preceded them, but at that time, I like, I've probably never yo-yoed as severely as I did before then. Wow. Mm-hmm. wow and did you have your food blog at that point? Or that no. No, I was like a lawyer. I was so lawyering so hard. Were you right. happy being a lawyer? Were you happy? Mm, no. I think... You weren't living... Before the divorce, right, we right. Happy, we have a, you feel like you live in that dream life finally? Have you married? You work in this job? Yeah, you security. Love it sounded all wonderful. And yeah. in many ways, I was happy to have my parents proud of me. And they were very proud of me. But they were also very worried about me because they knew I'd married the wrong guy. And, and oh. yeah, they knew that from the beginning. They, oh, actually, I was going to say. Yeah. yeah like, they tried to get me to not to call off the wedding, like in a very serious way. And it turned into a humongous fight. And I just was like, yeah. <laughs> but like very sh- like I think three and a half months before the wedding, they're like, we really are begging you. Please don't go through with this. He's not the right guy for you. Very again. So my parents are traditional, but that is a very non-traditional thing for my parents to do. So they were very worried about me, but I was happy that I could check off so many boxes for them because for me growing up, checking off my parents' boxes brought me so much joy. Not like necessarily in the best way. I almost feel like in a like 
you know, heroin addict kind of way. Like Mm -hmm. I was addicted to their approval. And so having that kind of immense approval from them, at least on my career, was really important to me. And I was willing to suck it up and hate my life and live weekend to weekend for many, many years in order to, exactly, yeah. Wow. I mean, they did the same for me. Yeah. I mean, they sacrificed so much for me. Mm -hmm. So you get divorced and they're probably like, they didn't say I told you so, but they were probably so happy. That they were, were so happy. Yeah. They were so happy. They were, they were happy, but they were sad for me too because they saw how wounded yeah. I was by the whole thing. And they were also really angry for me. But my father, I'll never forget this. We were at a Korean barbecue restaurant. It was my birthday because I got divorced in the same month as my birthday. Mm. And we went out to dinner for my birthday and before the karbi got there, he like raises his glass and he goes, congratulations. And I was like, for what? He's like, for the divorce. That is also not traditional Korean, very non-traditional for a father mm-hmm. to tell his daughter, congratulations for finally leaving wow. that husband. Wow. Oh, that's tough. Yeah. That's well, rough. Divorce it's, There's no such thing as a good divorce. Right. Like, even right. the most friendly yeah. divorces are just awful. Oh, was that like awful. your first yeah. true love? Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was total mm-hmm. encompassing. Like, I disappeared into that love. Right. Wow. That's, Anthony, he's cool. He's awesome. Yeah. It's a very different kind of love. <laughs> we, <we're laughs> his birthday is coming up tomorrow. And so in honor of him, the podcast this week, which is live tomorrow, is all about our love story. And yes. it does okay. talk about kind of all the things that I learned from my first relationship about me, mm-hmm. who I am, and kind of the pitfalls of codependency and how easy it is to fall into that and mix it up with love when it really isn't right. love. Right. Mm. Very interesting. I love that. Yeah. No pun intended. Um, <laughs> so, so then you're on social media and you try and do all yeah. these things. And what was your name on there back then? I wasn't on social media. Okay, I was just like it. the Korean. Like I was just like the girl who like was on Instagram and lurking and ah. kind of you know thing like that. But I wasn't <laughs> no like account. no real account. Like it was a personal account. And yeah. then you know I I started dating Anthony in 2014. We dated, we broke up, we got back together, and then he became vegan in 2016, and I subsequently joined him. Wow, okay, there we go. all right. So yeah, that's I was waiting to hear like how so did, kind of did it all together around the same time. Yeah. Basically, I mean, he I, preceded me by a couple weeks. A couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So I was gonna ask, like, was it a long time before yeah. you like? Nah, I knew like he wouldn't admit it at the time because he was like, you could just, you do whatever you want to do. You don't need to join me. And I was like, yeah, no, our relationship will not survive if I don't join you. It would be, it would be very hard because we weren't like a married couple. I think it's different when you have some sort of foundation. We were still so new in our relationship. You know, we hadn't even said things like, I love you or, you know, things like, I don't think, but like (laughs) we were just too new yet for us to, have that sort of wedge spring up between us. And yeah. so ultimately I decided, okay, I, I guess I have to join him in this if I want to continue <laughs> our relationship. Was it hard for you to do it or? No, it wasn't hard. Like the changing my brain and making it open to the possibility, that took a little work. Of course it did. Yeah, yeah. And he was really good about it. Like he made me watch all the movies and all the proper docs. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, what was it? Food Inc. and right. Forks Over Knives, Cowspiracy. Right. Well, What the Health didn't exist yeah. at the time. This is 2016. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't think I could have. That's heavy. That's too hard for me. So he did all those things and we adopted a plant based diet and. 
you know, if you want to put a fine point on it, we did it for the, for our health and the environment at first. So it was a plant-based diet. And, you know, a few months later was when I finally allowed myself to love animals in the way that I knew I always wanted to. Mm-hmm. And yeah. after that, then I would say we became vegan. I love that. I love, I never heard somebody say it like that. Like it was just for health. So you called it plant-based. And then when it becomes more for the animals and everything, then, then it's vegan. You know what I'm saying? The way she broke mm. that down right now. Right, right. That was interesting. Because well, I, I think plant-based is a diet. It's the way that you eat. And you can, I think the way that you eat, you are making a substantial impact to animal suffering because it is the most consumptive of animal products, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if you are doing this because of the animals and animal exploitation, then there are other aspects of your life that merit attention. Like I try to buy makeup that doesn't you know impact animals it's not tested on animals i you know got rid of all leather Mm -hmm. and things like that and even our car like we're like making sure like there's no leather in the car you know whatever we can do and i think that's what i mean by veganism like it stopped being just a diet right and it started becoming much more than that yeah it's more of a a lifestyle yeah i also think people when they hear the word vegan they're more taken back than you say i'm plant-based that's like more like a softer Way to say what Unfortunately, you, you know, yeah. The word I mean? vegan is it has because there's a bad rep around that name. Yeah. Absolutely, there is. It, well, it makes people defensive. Extremely. I think, yeah, yeah, I think it is partly bad rap for sure. But I also think just naturally, like people don't want to have to look at what what's behind the things on their plate. <laughs> really they don't want to be confronted with which, it. Which is crazy because it's going in your body, body and it's something that's every it's day that you need. Putting, yeah. But it's something that you need. You know, to survive. It's like in every, you would think that would be the most important thing. But that's the thing is, I mean, we live in a world where the path of least resistance is often the one that we're told to select. And, and you know, to the extent that we say, no, that path may not be the best for you. People are like, yeah, no, it's okay. It's more (laughs) convenient for me to just continue digging that path. How were your parents about you changing your your diet? Like, were they tripped out about it? No, they just thought it was a diet. They, they had seen me do this thing so many, like for, you know, years and years and like, oh, she's just doing another diet. Good for her. Mm. They were, they were like, yeah, anything that will keep our daughter skinny, we're, we're all for. So that's originally what they thought. I think at a certain point, especially when I started long distance running, then they got worried. They're like, okay, uh, um, like, are you eating enough? You know, like, okay. you're, you know, right. so they got worried. At, and then, of course, the protein, like, you're not yeah. getting enough that's protein. That's the main question. Yeah. Still, like, so what started long distance? What, what made you start running? Well, I started running in 2014. When, remember when I said that I made that radical change to yes. try and eat in a more sustainably healthy way? Yeah. I started running because I lived right next to Lake Michigan. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And so I was like, I have no excuse. So I started, <laughs> I started running then, and it was like really slow and short distances, like not even a mile. Mm-hmm. And... I continued to run a little bit longer, a little bit faster. And then, of course, I met Anthony in 2014, so about a year later. And he's a, an avid runner. And he encouraged me to sign up for my first race. And so I ran my first race in November of 2014. And after that, I was kind of addicted. You know how, like, when you yeah. get a tattoo, you're like, why am I doing this? And then when you get one, you're like, now I need a hundred more. <laughs> this uh, goes yeah, so <laughs> like, I know that feeling. So I, I had the same feeling with racing. As soon as I did that first race, I was like, oh, well, now I need to run all the races. That's I want that for running too. Cause I, I hate running and love it when I start running and I, and I start going and I love it. But then when I think about doing, it, I'm like, ah. 
But I really would love to do a marathon sometime really? in my life. Yeah, oh, you could do one. 100% nice. sometime in my life, yeah. Yeah, I definitely love the idea of it. I always <laughs> have. Yeah. But I just had to get in my mind growing up that I just don't have the body frame for doing that for long periods of yeah. time. And that's it's unfortunate because I find so much joy in running when I was able to to do long mm. distances when I was younger and, yeah. and and but yeah my body frame and it's just killing kills my knees yeah and uh, after a while you know I just want to have it like on like a bucket list like I did a marathon yeah I mean I would I I was just gonna ask like for you it's more of not you know is it for the race itself or just for the achievement of having it it's definitely the achievement so i'm sure Mm -hmm. both of you have experienced this you go out in the morning and you come back from a run and you just feel like you can conquer the world after that even if it's just three miles so imagine how you would feel at the end of a marathon you cross that finish line and you feel like you literally can conquer the world and that feeling is intoxicating Right yeah. on. So how many have you done now? I've done five marathons. Wow. Mm. So if I can run a marathon, right. there are very few people on earth who can't do it. Because I remember the first time I saw a marathon in 2014, I just was like, dude, these people are crazy. Like, what are they <laughs> doing? Like, this is really, like, insane. Like, I just thought it was totally nuts. I never dreamed in a million years that I would one day not just toe the line, but cross the finish line of yeah. a marathon. Five marathons. 26 Five miles, marathons. right? 26.2. That Ooh. .2, can't forget it. Trust wow. me. <laughs> Mile 26, you know. <laughs> yeah. right. And so like eating after that too, just, you're probably so hungry. You're probably s- it's funny you should say that. I don't find myself hungry. What happens is when you subject your body to that much work and in some ways trauma, your body then says, oh, wow, we got to not focus on anything except storing or not storing, but providing energy to this woman's glutes, her hips, Mm -hmm. her feet, her muscles, because she's clearly like running for her life, you know? So that's what your body thinks. So immediately after your race, you do not have the blood, the oxygen that would otherwise facilitate digestion. So your stomach is like not cool with food at that time. You're just like, I don't want to eat anything. Like I feel like I'm going to throw up. So, and sometimes that can last for a couple days. I've noticed that after an intense long run, I'm usually not hungry day of, but the next day I'm starving. So people think, oh, like I'm going to eat a chocolate cake or like fried chicken, (laughs) like right after I cross the finish. I'm like, no, you're not. You're going to be like, I want some water and potato chips. (laughs) Like, yeah, yeah, salt. Like that's all I can think about. I was like, give me a bag of potato chips. (laughs) And do you, do you, do you ever walk it too during the thing? You run the whole time, everyone. Sometimes I'll walk through the water stations because I don't want to bump into someone or like I need to really drink the water yeah and so i'll do that but for the most part i try really hard to keep a pretty steady pace the whole race wow yeah i i I definitely can understand like after that yeah i mean after a show for some reason i mean after a show i I can't eat anything yeah you know it 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 takes hours hours and hours yeah because your body has been doing the work to make sure you're there for your show and it doesn't have any more resources to be like, all right, Hey, we need to digest (laughs) some food here. (laughs) So when you become vegan in Chicago, we talked about earlier, like, like just like the the options out there, 
I know you started doing your food blog. Was that inspired by just trying to cook more vegan options? In like in some ways. Create your own stuff that you couldn't find? Exactly. Okay. It was that. And part of it was wrapped up in the fact that I was Korean and the person who was encouraging me to adopt this very non-Korean diet, at least in my perception at the time, was a white man. Mm. And so I felt very threatened by that. I think that if Anthony had shown even just a modicum of interest in Korean culture and Korean cuisine, I may not have felt so resentful towards him about him asking me to, to go vegan. I'm like, you don't even know what you're asking me to give up. Right. You've never bothered, you know? And so even though I had significant misgivings that this white guy was, in my view, asking me to give up my culture, I decided to join him because I saw so much potential in our relationship but the thing was I was going to do it on my own terms which meant that I had to figure out a way to veganize all the Korean food that I wasn't willing to give up and that's why I started the Korean vegan that's incredible but to Anthony's credit my now husband's credit he was the one who was like you should start a YouTube channel called the Korean vegan (laughs) 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 yeah in many ways this I would not be sitting here without him So how how did that go when it first launched? It was a great reaction. Was it slow? Was it? It was slow. It was like what you would think. I I had no idea how to do videography, so yeah. it was really hard. It would take me like forty five days to do one five minute video, wow. you know. And it, I didn't know how to use video editing software and things right. like that. I knew a lot about photography because I had to that point been taking a lot of pictures of myself and of landscapes and the cityscape so I knew somewhat about photography but knew nothing about video so that's why I quickly left YouTube and just focused on Instagram which is a more photograph centric Mm -hmm. platform and so I did that for many many years and you know kind of ho-hum it grew a little bit here and there remember I was by that time a partner at a large law firm so it wasn't like I had like scads of time to devote to my social media presence yeah and then um a TikTok blows up. <laughs> a viral TikTok with you cooking braised potatoes and, and Anthony's playing piano in the back, right? <laughs> yes, he is. He's giving a piano How lesson. long are you on TikTok before that happens? Have you been on there for a minute? Like, I think I'd been on there for like, I don't know, a few days. Wow. Like, not not very long. Like, I had not so, been so on what, TikTok. So what was, the, what was on the TikTok? She's cooking. She's cooking some uh, Korean braised potatoes. potatoes. In there. Yeah. And, and, and Eddie's in the back playing piano. Yeah. And, and so that blew up? Yeah. Like, how, like... I think it has... He needs help like, with TikTok. He's really cute. Uh, I know. I'm just curious. I like I, when people are like, yo, it blew up. We talked we about the... I was calling there? it Tic Tacs. We do something viral. I was like, oh, the Tic Tacs. <laughs> I think I got the Tic Tacs going I feel like I'm kind of told to be on this. We do something I, I really... think I'm way too old, but no, that's not true. Though. you're not. There are other people that have seen on it. Yeah. So I just want to know, like, was it... So what was the music being played? Like, what drew people yeah, like, oh, my God, this nobody knows. Right? I mean, it's really hard to predict. I, okay. I, I guess I actually had been on there for like maybe a couple of weeks. I was posting political content. Mm-hmm. And so I was not posting food content. I was just like talking about politics. And Donald Trump was trying to cancel TikTok at the time. So I was. That's right. Yeah. I and so I was the lawyer yes. who was like being like, don't worry, guys, right. like he can't do this and da, da, da. And so like, that's what I was doing for a while. And then one day I was like, I am a food content creator. Like I have an Instagram called the Korean vegan. It's like, oh, you know, I'll just 
put my phone up against the wall while I make these braised potatoes. Okay. And that was like one of our favorite things to eat at the time because we were both runners and high carb, you know, it's really good. And so... I just did that. Anthony's giving a piano lesson. You can hear him yelling at a student and then like banging <laughs> on the piano. There was like nothing Super special random. about it. Yeah. Very okay. random. I didn't even know how to use TikTok very well at the time. You'll look, you, you'll see the video and be like, this is okay, horrible. Check it out. And then, yeah, it has like over 1.6 million views. Wow. It hit like six hundred thousand views in less than twenty four hours. That's crazy. Wow. I don't yeah. understand. See, that's so. Did really you see that happening yet? Yeah. you were, it happened instantly, or the next day you saw it, or just? I think I started to get notifications on my phone, and I was like, "Oh, like a lot of people." But I didn't really understand like what was happening. Mm-hmm. And then I checked it the next day, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" And it was it was really <laughs> kind of crazy. Yeah. Wow. So that kind of puts you in like a new dimension on social media? It did. You instantly gain a lot of followers from that. I remember I I got into a little bit of trouble at work because of one of my videos had gone viral and it got onto a lot of legal blogs and, and the CEO found out about it and I had got contacted by the firm's PR firm and all that stuff and I thought I was going to lose my job. So I called my mentor at work and I was like, Ellen, I don't know what to do. You know, like they're calling me about my TikTok account. I'm like, she's like, what do you, what do you mean? You just started. And I'm like, yeah, and I already have 38,000 followers. And she's like, what are you, She's like, how did that happen? Like, you literally just started your wow. TikTok account. And I was like, I don't know. This is like what happened. And so... I grew really, really fast. It was exciting and all of those things that you would imagine, but it was also terrifying for a lawyer who worked a full-time job as a partner at a law firm to get so much attention so oh, quickly. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So they were bummed that you were letting people know you were a lawyer and you were on TikTok talking about things. Yeah, like what the did politics. they have against it? So ah. I told, yeah, there, politics is, you know, an issue. Okay. But beyond that, there was one post where I was a little snotty and it did involve my job. And um, so, and it, it wasn't directed at my employer. That was right. not it at all. It was more like somebody was like, you don't look like you work very hard as a lawyer. And I took that lady down and Whoa. I was very specific about exactly how hard I was working. That made it on all the legal uh, blogs and forums. My CEO found out and he's like, well, it sounded a little too condescending, Joanne. <laughs> So wow. they made me take it down. Right. <laughs> made you take it down? Yeah, but then I put it back up. <laughs> <laughs> and you're still there, so they love you. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And your partner. Wow. Mm-hmm. So how how does your life change from that as far as like wanting to do the to, to do your book, your vegan cookbook? So I actually had a book deal already. Oh. That was one of the reasons I started a TikTok was because my publisher kind of was like nudging my lit agent, like, what's Joanne's social media plan for when the book comes out? And I was like, Well, you know, like all these kids are on TikTok, I should at least check it out. Like I don't necessarily have to create food content, but I should at least be aware of like what's out there. So by that time, my manuscript had already been submitted. It was done. Like I was working on it, like revising it, but like the big work had already been done. And so TikTok then became a very big part of the marketing and PR strategy for the book once my Korean vegan thing kind of, you know, catapulted into what nobody would have imagined. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How soon did that book come out after you 
went viral? So I went viral in July. Well, I started my TikTok account in July of 2020. My book came out in October of 2021. Mm. So I had well over a year to really get the brand out there and build buzz around the Korean vegan. And, you know, my publisher was like, over the moon about this because yeah, from their perspective like they paid for somebody who had thirty-seven thousand followers on instagram like that's when they signed me yeah. and by the time they were selling the book i had you know two million followers on tiktok and hundreds wow. of thousands of followers on youtube and instagram it's so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And then it became a New York Times bestseller. It did. Wow. That was incredible. Yeah, I man. know. It was, it's That's really insane. What does that amazing. even mean to the listeners? Like, what does that mean? You know, it's... It's, it's a big deal. It's, it's digital it's, sales. Yeah. It's it it was it based on that. It was based upon pre-orders for sure. Okay. Yeah. So there were a lot of pre-orders, of course, that helped. And, you know, all of those things get built into that number but at the end of the day and I know you have many New York Times bestselling authors and platinum record holders and stuff like mm-hmm. that so like there are a lot of people who will be like yeah you know it doesn't mean what it means but for me it was important because in July of 2021 like actually like right after I met Rich for the first time I sat down with my publisher and I sat down with my PR team and I was like we're gonna make the fucking New York Times bestseller list if I have to do everything in my power to do it this is a goal that i want to achieve and we're going to make it happen and so it wasn't an arbitrary thing but for me it was important to execute on a goal that i had selected for myself and there were a lot of ups and downs along the way but ultimately it meant that much more to me and you find it out pretty quick that you are a bestseller when it comes out like so record drops the first week sales or something exactly it's in that first week Mm. wow your parents, what are your parents at that point? They don't understand. They they really don't understand anything. They, they were just like really upset that I decided to withdraw from partnership at my firm. That was oh, really weighing true. on them. Yeah. Okay. So I knew after meeting Rich, Rich Roll in right. June. John's Rich Roll. Was yeah. Like his career path was so inspiring to me because he had been a big law lawyer yep. and ultimately took a leap of faith. And it coincided in some degrees with his decision to go plant-based as well. So after talking to him, I just felt so inspired. And shortly after doing that, I called my boss and I was like, look, I'm, I'm just not going to do this anymore. I'll stay on, on an of counsel capacity, just really to make sure that we transition my matters to the right people. And in case you guys have questions and mostly for PR purposes, but beyond that, I'm not going to really do very much my mom was really unhappy about that decision. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> wow. So the LA Times, New York Post, Rich Roy did obviously Food Network, CNN, Kelly and Ryan did so much press after this blew up. It did. And that was really, really fun. It was nerve wracking too. I know we were talking about before I, I'm very stage frighty. Yeah. <laughs> I get mm-hmm. super bad stage fright. But it was a great learning opportunity for me. It was a great growth opportunity. And of course, it helped tremendously with the book. Yeah. And you do speaking events. You do all kinds of stuff now. I do. I do a lot of speaking events. In fact, I'm going to Chicago this week to do one for a client. And I'm really excited. Yeah. Shy town. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. What about like, what is like one of your favorite dishes to make? So definitely the jajangmyeon, which is on the cover of the book. Yep. That is a dish that... My father loves and, 
you know, a lot of times your favorite dish isn't just the thing that tastes delicious to you. It's also the thing that's steeped in memory and nostalgia. Mm -hmm. And it was always like when my mom had to work on Sundays, that meant that we didn't have to go to church. (laughs) 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 And that was like really always the best. (laughs) And my dad like never liked going to church. So he, he like, I think he like rebelled at a certain point. He's like, I'm not going to church anymore. And so when my mom had to go to work on Sundays, my dad would always take me and my brother out to lunch and because we we weren't at church and he would always take us to the Chinese Korean restaurant and he Mm. would get two orders of jajangmyeon, one bowl for himself and one bowl for me and my brother to split between us. And so those are always like such special Sundays for us. And yeah. so there's a lot of that kind of wrapped into why I love jajangmyeon. I certainly love making it for my dad now. That makes me so happy. But, you know, just beyond that is an absolutely delicious dish. Yeah, and your parents love it. You're into vegan food. They, they try stuff. They're open-minded to it. They're definitely open-minded to it. When my mom cooks it, my dad probably can't even tell, like, yeah. that it's vegan. Like, the the other day they were at my house, and my mom made just a huge batch of puchinge, which is a Korean savory pancake. And Ooh. it, you know, it was vegan. And she made just so much. And as soon as I walked into the house, my dad turns his head, and he's like, you know, your mommy, <laughs> she made the best puchinge. <laughs> it was oh, that's vegan. A, that's <laughs> incredible. That's incredible. Yeah. So you open their minds up to that. That's so cool. It is. It's what about good. like, would you do another book? I'm working on my second book right now. I was thinking about it this morning. I'm like, ah, oh, you know, what am I gonna, what am I gonna write in in my introduction? Like, what is that, you know, bait going to be to lure people yeah, into yeah. book two? I mean, how did you discover your publisher in the first book that you did? Like, how did you question. bait them into like, I got a <laughs> Korean vegan cookbook, and where they're like, I, you're out of your mind. I know. Like, <laughs> I was question. kind of like, who would want to make right. a book out of this? But, it, and I didn't really have any ideas like of creating a book that wasn't I was a lawyer you know I was working very hard at the time but I was on Instagram and I followed this account called best of vegan Mm. which is a vegan sharing account so they don't create their own original content what they They do is they they take another person's content and they feature them and they have over 2 million followers on Instagram so it's a wonderful thing to be featured on best of vegan best of vegan exactly check it out oh yeah the food is wonderful and she's coming out with a cookbook as well Okay. And so anyway, I followed her and I was so excited when Best of Vegan followed me back. And I remember <laughs> like she liked one of my posts and it had 200 likes and I was just so excited. <laughs> and I know, I know. And so one day she reached out to me, like literally wanted to talk to me on the phone and invited me to a food festival with her. Mm. And I was like... I, I remember like when we got on the phone, I'm like, um, I just want to make sure that you intended to ask me, <laughs> not somebody else. Yeah. Right. She was famous and I was not. And she was like, no, no, I know who you are. I, I love your account. And I was like, okay. I had like maybe 10,000 followers at the time and we became friends And it turned out the reason she loved my account so much was because of my writing. So Mm -hmm. unlike many vegan food accounts, I didn't put recipes in my Instagram captions. I would put stories about my family, about my parents and my grandparents growing up as an immigrant in the United States. And so she really enjoyed my writing. 
And eventually she had a huge book deal, you know, obviously because she's like huge on Instagram. And she was like to her agent, hey, I have a friend. You should probably check her out. And he checked me out and he was interested in working with me. We worked for a year on a book proposal. We got it out. And within a week, we had an offer from one of the biggest publishing houses in the country. Wow. That's Mm -hmm. that's incredible. That's amazing. It is. Just goes to show like putting yourself out there in a way that's different Mm -hmm. might be kind of risky. And I'm sure both of you can relate to this. Like, oh, like we want to do something that's truer to us artistically, but may not be commercially the most strategic move. And I certainly felt that way because my work is very dark, moody. My photography wasn't bright and saturated and colorful. It was more like kind of unsaturated and dark. Did you do a lot of the photos for the book? I did the whole book. Yes. Yeah. So I did all the photography for the book. It looks incredible. It looks really, really. But yeah. And it was also because I didn't put recipes. Mm-hmm. On uh, yeah, she she didn't actually feature me very much on Best of Vegan because I didn't put recipes. Yeah, I was but gonna she, say so yeah. many people are always asking what is was the, the recipe? recipe exactly. Yeah. And I was just like, too bad, sorry, wrong account. <laughs> um, and I would just be like, I'm gonna put stories out there, and it was because of that that I was noticed by someone, and it was because of that that I got my book deal. I mean, they really were like, I mean, her photographs are nice and her recipes are cool, but we just love her writing. Yeah. How much has your life changed since the book? Well, I mean, I withdrew from partnership at a law firm that I was with for 17 years. So. <laughs> like as far as like things you can do, because like you never ran before. You started doing, I did five marathons. Yeah. Maybe turn your life around your diet and then you put a cookbook out. You know, really cooked growing up. I think that's amazing. Yeah. So I would say prior to going vegan, my like the big accomplishments in my life were essentially getting a divorce, right? That was the biggest thing. And I... I was mm. told my husband, my current husband, you know, he would ask me like, what, the, what is the thing that you're most proud of? And for me, it was always exiting that relationship because it was the hardest thing I ever did. And so in some ways, I feel like before going vegan, I was just climbing to survive. I just needed to get out of the hole that I found myself in to get at level ground. Yeah. Once I went vegan, it was almost like now I'm not just at level ground. I'm actually climbing a mountain to get above sea level, to see from the top. And so in the beginning, like like I say, before I went vegan, I almost felt like I needed to make up so much ground that I had lost. Whereas now I feel like affirmatively pursuing joy, which is a very different feeling. And, and yeah, it's it's wonderful. It's very life-affirming, but the work that I did in order to simply get to the point where I could believe that I deserved joy mm. was very important for me to get to where I am right now. Yeah. You actually ple- besides, you know, it seems like you were trying to please your parents for so long, and now it's like, please yourself. Make yes. yourself happy with it. You know what I mean? Like, it's not just... It is. It's that's very true. And that can be very scary for someone who lives off the approval of their parents and people around them. Identifying what brings joy to you independent of that can be a little bit jarring and Mm. and scary at first, but ultimately is very, very liberating. And if you're yeah, if your family loves you, 
like at the end of the day, my mom and my dad love me. Yes. So they're not going to yeah. be like, no, you have to stay in this job that you hate and, you know, sucks your soul dry. Like they're not going to do that, you know? Yeah. So, and they're definitely very proud of me. Of course. I don't know that they really understand what I do yet. Mm-hmm. And most people actually don't anyway. So that's not very different, but you know, they're very happy for me. Do you feel like you still want to seek their approval with things moving forward in your life? I think the biggest thing that I was always worried about was whether my choice to not have children or whether you can call it a choice or something mm-hmm. might cause them a little bit of disappointment. I don't think it does. My mom was always the first person to be like, don't have kids. So, <laughs> you know, I don't know that it does, but it did. Right. that did cause me a little bit of hesitation. And certainly we had a very hurtful conversation when I told her that I was withdrawing from the firm. I mean, I was crying and it was not sure. great. But she's over it now and, and we're good and she's very proud of me. So that kind of compulsive need to yeah. please my parents has definitely mellowed quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read a couple of things about having children and after your divorce and stuff. And um, you're saying like you're not anything less without children. and You don't have to be defined by having children mm-hmm. as a woman. Yeah. I, I, I love that too. It's something that I often have to say to myself. I think a lot of people think, oh, my God, this Korean vegan, Auntie Joanne, she has her shit so together. Like, she's giving all this great advice. And sometimes... freezing your eggs, too. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Freezing my eggs. I think a lot of people don't realize that I say these things to other people because it forces me to repeat them to myself. I love that. It's really hard for me sometimes to believe that my womanhood is no less important because I don't have children, because I was raised to believe that that was a woman's job. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I come from a very traditional conservative household in that way, even though my mom was like, don't have kids. It's it's very weird. (laughs) But like still, like she was like, don't have kids, but you're going to have kids, (laughs) you know, kind of like that. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) it's hard to rewire yourself and I have to continue to tell myself, no, you're affecting a lot of people's lives with what you're doing right now. Of course. Is your brother married with children? Yes. He has a beautiful, just like the most perfect son. And that was the other thing. I don't know if you felt this way when you had your respective kids, but growing up, because my mom was like always poo-pooing having children, I never was really interested in kids. Mm. And I was always like, maybe I just don't have that maternal instinct. Like I just I'm never that girl who's like, oh, can I hold your baby? I'm always like, no, thank you. (laughs) Um, So like that was always me. And then my nephew was born and all of a sudden it was like, I have to protect this person from everything in the world, including his parents. You know? <laughs> and I was like, his parents are idiots. <laughs> like, and so I was like so protective. And I just, it's just a wonderful thing to love another human being that unconditionally. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. It's definitely life changing. It's intense. I never it's, thought it's really, and yeah. unless you really have children, you don't know exactly what she's saying. I said like, unconditional love which your which your parents have for you and still have for you your yes. whole life that maybe comes off overprotective and super strict but it's this pure love and like they want the best for you and they want to keep you safe forever absolutely you know what i mean i feel that mm-hmm. i feel that my son getting older and that um you know leaving the nest syndrome stuff and all that like that i get emo- i'm getting emotional talk about it. just you know, you know what i mean like that connection you have and that bond and that it's beautiful yeah it is beautiful especially seeing you with max i think most people that i've talked to who know you and Max are always talking about just how uniquely beautiful your relationship with your son is. It's not 
it's not something that I see very often and right, it's very, you. very well, it's very well done. A plus. <laughs> thank you. I, I have to definitely give it up for Moon for. Oh, really, she is. Yeah. You know, having two kids and <laughs> having to deal with <laughs> that, that toll I'll can be. I'll take that. I'll take that. But it's, it's a beautiful thing. In the end of the day, it's 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 definitely something I noticed too. That's Thank remarkable. You, yeah. yeah, I'm very lucky. I found my Absolute, soulmate and yes. made a baby with her on purpose. You know, what I mean, out of pure love. You know, what I'm right. saying and wanted. You know, there's some people that can't have children, yeah. right? And yeah. there's people that have children and don't even care that they have children. Yeah. There's people that really want it and can't, and I feel that and I see that, and so I'm very lucky and blessed to. I hate doing. I hate saying the word blessed, but I am blessed to have the life that I yeah, have. Yeah, no wife. doubt. I would say it for you. Yeah. <laughs> I'll yeah. say it for you. <laughs> <laughs> you are blessed. Yes, you are <laughs> blessed. Don't, don't get emotional. Well, let's, let's take it to the thirty-day toast challenge, which oh, you're what? doing right now. Which thirty-day oh what toast? toast challenge? But I'm, toast? Gluten, I'm gluten-free right now, you so you can have gluten-free it's toast. It's hard to find good bread. So what's this toast it's challenge? The challenge right now. <laughs> I, 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 wait, I'm totally I this whole thing from like emotional dad <laughs> to her toast challenge. But then my ears just peaked up. I was like, I love toast. I love toast, <laughs> I love yes. toast too. You can find good gluten-free vegan bread. You you can. Yeah, we brands off the top. Of no, your but okay. I remember like Anthony was gluten-free for four months. Okay, and so Anthony, yeah, right? so we had to do that. There was one brand that we really liked that. Un- it we yeah. did have to special order it. Like and it had to be directly delivered to From our house. Country. No, but <laughs> it, I bread think in Europe is amazing. Yeah, Incredible. oh, it's different. Like oh, yeah. respect to America's bread. The wheat no, is bread different. Is, yeah, yeah no, it's bread just, in America is horrible. It, it can okay. be if you make your own sourdough. I imagine yeah, your stomach make. would probably be okay with it, mm. but. Especially if the flour is from Italy or France. There you go. Yeah, that's what Double I zero. often do. Exactly. So you're, so you're yes. a toast person, obviously. You're doing this challenge. Yeah, so I really to like toast. toast because it's convenient. Yes. And also, I have a lot of issues with eating and and struggling with eating, essentially. Okay. And toast is like a really convenient thing for me because I feel like, okay, it's simple to make. I know exactly what is in the food, 100%. you know, and like I'm not putting like a lot of things on it. It's not like overly complicated. For me, there's nothing better than a piece of you know, whole wheat or sourdough bread with a little bit of raw garlic on it, and I a, saw you make that. Yeah, and a quarter mm-hmm. of an avocado, some sea salt. That's it, done. I, I mean, I could eat that every single day, mm-hmm. and that's what I was doing. I was literally eating that every single day because it was just so delicious. Mm-hmm. And I decided to do this thirty-day toast challenge on yes. YouTube because, like, that's what the, they like on YouTube. They're like, "Ooh, what is she gonna do next?" You know, <laughs> is it hard so, to have thirty different ones. Yeah, it is hard. That's the challenge. Yeah aspect of it because for me I would just eat avocado toast every day <laughs> me too and I just I uh, shot the green table they have the best avocado toast gluten-free and they have like pesto underneath it. oh my god I just started adding tomatoes to it which yep. I'm gonna get today it's incredible the tomatoes on the on the Avocado if toast. you get like really good heirloom or Campari tomatoes, I like a little bit on the sweeter side. So I like heirlooms and Campari tomatoes. You slice those up, get a little bit of balsamic on that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is unreal. I mean, even some fresh basil kind of right. on top yeah, of that. So good. To me, that's a great, you know, snack. It's a great breakfast. I eat a lot of I mean, avocado good, toast for the, breakfast. It's the fats too, like the avocado fats. Exactly. is great for you. It's, a, it's, it's healthy. A good cup. Yeah, it's I mean, clean cup. if you can, if you can tackle the bread situation, like I know a lot of people are gluten intolerant yeah. or refined wheat, especially in the United States, is is 
you know, a little bit uncomfortable for people and their tummies. I get that, which is why I always opt for sourdough because the fermentation process does help with that a little bit. Mm. So if you can do that, then you can really make this a very nutrient dense meal that packs in the calories for you. Sometimes you can add a little bit of tofu if you want some protein or of course beans. That's another great option for a toast. So that's why I'm doing this 30 day toast challenge. It's really fun. And you know, it's, it's, it's making people who always associate me with sad, depressing, really emotional stories see another side to me like, oh, she's funny. She understands meme culture. She can do recipes like she's yeah. got good ideas. Yeah, that's amazing. What day are you on now for that? I'm on day. I, f- I finished six days. I have seven and eight in the can already. So I'm going to be pushing those later this week. And then I've got ideas for the rest of them. I was going through my comments on YouTube from my last toast video and there was this woman from India and she's like, please try Indian potato toast. I'm like, okay, Ooh. Indian food, Ooh. potato, toast, yeah, I'm done. So, yeah, I'm <laughs> totally sold already yeah. on that. I'm really excited yeah. about that one. So do you, do you check your comments? Oh yeah. You read everything? Oh, you do. I don't read everything. Obviously I get way too many comments to, to read them all, mm-hmm. but I do think that building community is not only a strategic thing to do, but it can definitely help with some of the other negative and toxic aspects of being a content creator leaning into those who are really interested and engaged with the content that I create is very helpful in fending off some of the you know imposter syndrome issues and also just racist comments I was gonna (laughs) ask you yeah yeah no no go ahead well just the negative yeah do you deal with negative comments you respond to people do you check your dms you respond to Anything like that? You give it any of your time? I do. I wow. I think I have a different stance on it right now than I did even like three months ago. I think three months ago, I was still so emotionally charged about my content, which isn't surprising if you look at my content. Mm-hmm. There are always very revealing, emotional, vulnerable stories about yeah. my life. So when people commented, uh, uh, yeah, I'm going to get emotional. I think that at a certain point, I really had to have this come to Jesus moment where I was like, and I'm sure both of you have had to deal with this too. I mean, you get all sorts of critics of your music and your art and your talent and your skill and all of those things. And at a certain point, you just had to be like, you know what? I know who I am and I know I'm fucking good at this and I'm just not going to listen to this anymore. If somebody has a problem with me, that's their problem. Like I'm not going to make it mine as well. And I really had to adopt that mindset. Mm -hmm. So now I'm a, I'm a bit more dispassionate when I respond to a comment. If it's overtly negative, I just ignore it or I block them. If it's racist, I just block them. Right. If it's like kind of on the fence, like this morning, somebody was like, you know, I did this video on, you know, what veganism means to me. And I always boil it down to do the least amount of harm, which is, you know, obviously a precept of of Buddhism and many other Eastern philosophies. Right. And so I I did that. And she goes, hmm, you say do the least amount of harm. And yet you're eating tofu made out of soybeans. And I was like, oh, my God, Uh, I just I can't deal with this. Yeah, I know. I know. I was just like, I can't like, so I went yeah. through a four part argument on why this was so stupid and I didn't let myself, like I didn't hold myself back. You know, I was like, this is so stupid for these reasons. First, second, third, fourth. And then I basically called it racist at the end. Mm-hmm. Cause like, I was like, I don't know which angle you're trying to come at me from. Mm-hmm. Like it can come from a lot of different places, but I'm going to cover all of them just in case you're one of them. Wow. And so like, 
those types of things I'm now able to do without causing too much emotional harm to me. I think a few months ago, it would have ruined my day. So So. we're like one negative comment out of a thousand great ones. It's so true. It's so crazy. We just, you know, I, I listen to Rich a lot on his podcast and there was one thing that has stuck out to me so much and I think about it in my work a lot. And I'm sure the two of you also think about it unconsciously, which is human beings have evolved to respond 13 times more to negative content than positive content. So they're going to engage way more often if something they see makes them afraid, makes them angry. And so that's the kind of content that's actually doing really well. The things that cause you to be mad, that cause you to get tribal, to divide from people and to say, no, it's you and point the finger, right? Cancel culture, all of those things. And so like there is that sort of incentive out there for me to buy into that and to appeal to that sort of human instinct. But conversely, as a consumer of content, I'm also driven by that same instinct, you know? So like when I see a negative comment or when I see something that makes me mad, I'm far more likely to zero in on it and respond to it than if I see somebody saying, oh my God, I love your content. I went vegan because of you. Like, okay, that's great. Like, but I'm not going to say anything in response to it. But if somebody says, you know, you're hurting the soy, then yeah, you're going to get me. (laughs) You know what I mean? Oh, no. Yeah, because I I, I know... With Toby, there were a lot of times, you know, there there, there were times where you're definitely, you're a very uh, emotional person. Yes. I love that about you, and and I and I knew that you had some trouble when certain people would write comments or maybe yeah. one person. I was like, man, don't let that get into your head. And 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 I realized that it's difficult for a lot of people. And and for me, I mean, I honestly. Um, there is no way in hell that I'm spending my time like responding and it's exactly what they want. One little bit of your attention, you know, to suck that out of you. And and I out really your, day, your precious time. Absolutely. And so I reverse this like, you know what? I don't know these people. These are yeah. absolute strangers. <laughs> you know, so it's when true. I look at it that way, it's like, why would I be upset by this person that has no significance in my life? Those positive comments though, I feet i love those and they're hard to believe at times i'm like wow you really changed you know my perception my perception of something or something but i i i had to you know really go into like responding to those people and and that feedback is so much more uh nourishing you know but in my mind it's this block next i don't spend any amount of time on any negative comments and the ones that do come through and it's like, honestly, I feel so good about that. And I just really would love to help people more to be like, get off of that. You know, there's so many more positive comments that are out there and building that, you know, um, is something that's so, I think, important for people to really, you know, it's like those are strangers that are giving these comments and they want any attention. But I, there's certain things like, of course, there are certain things I'm like I've seen. I'm like, oh my god, I even did a test of putting a photo, and I and I take a lot of photos and photographer. You're a great photographer, man. Thank you. And on tour, I saw this one photo, and I was like, man, I wish I would have taken that photo because it's just drawn me in. Mm. And it was a photo I was telling you about. It's like a 
a church and then there's two ladies and they're and one is cleaning like a huge chandelier and the other's is cleaning like a Jesus statue and it's and she and it's an old photo. Mm. I didn't write anything on the post. I just wrote like Austria photo, not by me, took a photo. Boom. Hundreds of comments. You know, people just getting super fearful and aggressive and about you know what? About religion about religion wow. mostly christians are like you're going to hell for posting this you know you what? should really accept jesus you're trying to bring out you know some type of response why are you posting this why you know like all these but, but, but i didn't write anything i didn't i wrote nothing and it was just interesting seeing the comments that it's people really had from fear to misunderstanding, creating their own scenario about the photo. Why would Derek post that? Why would he post it? Mm. What's happening in the photo? The things that they made up that weren't true at all. And people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, I see that. You know, oh, the Nazis were doing stuff in that time period. And they oh were completely, God. and I was like, no, that's not what the photo is about. I haven't written what the photo is about, but what it was, it was a day before Easter. And they were cleaning everything in the church. That's it for the celebration. It had nothing satanic about it. It had to do with cleaning all the items in the church that needed to be cleaned for the Easter celebration. Mm -hmm. That's it. Wow. No conspiracy behind it, but people created one, which was scary. You know, they were like, oh, this is because they were all a huge thing and people believing into it and it just kept building and And growing. And it was, and I wrote nothing. And it was honestly about the celebration of Christ and the church and, Everything has to and be clean. Service. And service. Yeah. And service. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. My question to the people who like <laughs> take time out of their day to hate on people right. they are actually trying to make the world a better place. Like, what have you done? Have you <laughs> ever wrote right. a song? Have you no, ever cooked not. anything? Have you ever inspired anybody? Have you ever done anything to make this world a better place? But yet you take time out of your day. And we're only here like temporarily. You have all this time. You take your precious time to write a negative thing to a person you don't know. It's, it's really sad. They're obviously man. hurting and they have a problem. And I feel bad yeah. for people. I'm a sense yeah. of like, I feel all the people's pain. If something happens across the world, I feel that pain. I'm a very open book. I wear my heart on my sleeve, very compassionate person. And I feel all that stuff, even negative or positive. Like, I'm like, I actually feel bad for that person. Like, why would you write that? You don't even know me. And then sometimes if you do write back, they go, oh my God, I can't believe you wrote back. Oh man, oh, I didn't mean that. I just want to oh my God, yeah, I totally, yeah, yeah. 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 That's, like, that's how you approach somebody. Like, right. I know people are nervous when they even on the Instagram, like, what are they going to write to this person? Will they see it or not? Like, but to take that time, that energy, man, it's just, it's a lot of sad, energy man, you know and I mean? it yeah. is sad. I think that there is a lot of what you were describing, Derek, which mm-hmm. is projection, right? Yes. Like they don't, they don't know how to process their own trauma or their pain or yeah. anger. So they do it in these like little, it's kind of like when, like, you know, when a dog is like pooping all over the house, they like deposit their shit all over the place, yeah. little That's bits and pieces. Great, yeah. And they Great. do it in the comments. Like they deposit themselves there. So they create these elaborate stories like in their heads about what it all means. And the the lie, of course, is that there's some sort of consistent thread throughout social media that ties it all together for them instead of, no, you just have to do the fucking work. You know, do the work, introspection, look at your own life, you know, look at the mirror Mm. and figure out where is your trauma manifesting in a way that's bringing you so much anxiety or pain. I think the other thing that's interesting about what you said, Toby, is that you are an empath. And I do think that when you are empathetic, think about it. When you when you walk into a room full of 40 people, right, 
empaths can't help but absorb the energy around them, whether it's good or bad. Mm-hmm. For me, and that's why I think you have so much nunchi, right? Is because yeah, nunchi, you, by the way, she can tell you about it. Nunchi mm-hmm. is kind of like emotional intelligence, right? In Korean, it's it's a broad word, hard to describe, mm-hmm. but. The reason your nunchi is so fast is because you have this talent at knowing when the other person is an uncomfortable is uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and your immediate reaction is, oh, I gotta do something to make them feel comfortable. I don't want this person to be uncomfortable around me because that makes me uncomfortable, right? It's like kind of like mirroring. So when I go into a room full of forty people. I automatically like my brain is like already like processing. Okay, like how do I make everyone happy? So I hate getting into elevators with people because I'm like I'm just tired. I don't want to have to think about everybody else's feelings. But <laughs> right. now there's right. an elevator, and I have to think about everybody else's feelings in this elevator. Well, magnify that by millions when you're on social media. Yeah. I'm, you know, like I have to absorb all the energy of the people who are commenting and engaging with my content and. You're right. 90% of the time, it's wonderful. It's totally empowering and it really fills me with hope. But there's like that 10% where I also have to absorb that, you know, to a certain degree in order to allow me to be open to the 90%. I have to open the door to the 10% who will come in and try and make a mess out of my house, shit all over my house, that's right? That's a great point. I mean, yeah. that's what happens. And so you got to take the good with the bad a little bit, but sometimes the bad can be extra overwhelming because they're in your fucking house. You know, they're in they're your heart, in you know? Every, not everybody's going to like like us or love us, and they're not supposed to. We're not supposed to. You can never exactly. be... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, so that it's, Im- it's an impossibility that everyone's yeah. going to like you in life. That's true. That's, that's a, a hard lesson it's for it's someone. Hard. <laughs> 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 what trips me out is the people that... Don't even like you, but they follow you, and that that's just <laughs> really trips me out, man. It's okay; you don't have to worry about it. Because they like not liking you. Yeah. that's why. But they want to follow you just to watch. I don't know, man. Some they, of them do want to yeah. just watch you they, fail. Yeah, that exists. And then I had a question. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes me want to go harder than whatever. <laughs> that's awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, when you decided you were going to do Korean dishes, and did you have a backlash from the Korean community? Yes, that's a great. That question. were like, "Oh my God, these are traditional Korean dishes because there are no animals in there." Yeah, I okay. definitely had to deal with that. That's a great question, and it remains one of the sore points. Like, there's a like, you know, people get triggered by different things, and that is definitely one of the things that triggers me. When I was in college, I was surrounded by Korean people. Mm-hmm. Like all my friends were Korean or Asian American and I mm-hmm. felt very much a part of the Korean American community. Then when I went to law school, like all the Korean people, like they were gone. <laughs> very right. few Korean people. In my law firm, I was the only Korean American attorney in my office for most of my career. So I felt very isolated from the Korean community and I felt like going vegan would isolate me even more. Like, right. oh, like I not only am I dating a white guy, like now I'm going to adopt a white diet. Like right. that's what I was worried about. White, white diet. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. what it, but I mean, it's all misconceptions. Right. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. It's all stereotypes, right. but that's totally. all I knew yeah, right at the time. And I knew because I had that stereotype at that time that many people like me would also have that stereotype. And so I became very sensitive to that. And sure enough, many people were right. like, well, if there's no fish sauce in your kimchi, is it, is it really, really kimchi? kimchi? You know, like you're not Korean because you don't eat Korean barbecue, which is laughable, right? Especially since I described to you like how very rarely we had yeah. Korean barbecue right. growing yeah. up. So like it's totally stupid and it's wrong but i still see it all the time like i was just on 
Twitter a month ago and a very popular Asian blogger. He basically wrote, hey, if you're Asian and you go to a Chinese restaurant, you can't get mad at them if they put meat in your vegetarian dish. And I'm like, what? (laughs) If I I see something on the menu and it says vegetarian and I order it and there's meat in it, why am I not allowed to complain about that? Yeah. Like, and they were basically like, cause that's just, you know, tradition. And like, you know, they should not be forced to cater to your diet. And I'm like, look, don't put it on the menu. Yeah. Then don't put it on the menu. <laughs> like, yeah. I think if it's wrong on the menu, like, and, and also like, why do I have to apologize right. for wanting something that's a vegetarian option at a Chinese restaurant? <laughs> I mean, do you are you like so clueless about Buddhist Chinese cuisine that you don't even right. realize that Chinese people have been doing quote vegan food Ever. for millennia? Like yes. what? Like it's so embarrassing the yeah. level of education of our own cultures in diaspora and Asian diaspora, and that's something that I had to really confront myself because I was that embarrassing person right before I went vegan. I was so uneducated about Asian cuisine, Korean cuisine, the history and tradition of Buddhist cuisine, plant-based cuisine in Asia. I mean, if you want to find like the best meat alternatives, I don't even know if you can call it that, right? Because I don't know that they're alternatives so much as these are just basic dishes exactly then you got to go to asia like literally i remember when i was in korea i ordered a i ordered jajangmyeon which is my favorite dish right and it was vegan and they sent it to me and i sent it back i was like there's meat in here i told you i want a vegan and the owner looked at me and he was like i don't i don't know what you mean this is vegan (laughs) and my mind was blown and i was like this is what they can do. This is what we're missing in the United States. I agree. And so, yeah, there's a lot of that. And I sometimes feel very insecure about that still. It was one of the reasons I went on TikTok because I knew that there were a lot of Korean Americans on there. And it was also one of the reasons I didn't start by posting food because I didn't want people to know that I was vegan. But I still started as the Korean vegan. There are a lot right, of contradictions right, in my right, life. Right, right. <laughs> I'm sure you inspired a lot of Koreans to... Go vegan or try these. At least try. At least try. I think that a lot more people are like, oh, well, I guess I can make kimchi jjigae without the pork this time. Mm -hmm. Or I could try a mushroom broth or I can try tashima instead of, you know, shrimp or something like that. Wow. It's 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 intense because, you know, oh, yeah. I mean, I can definitely relate to the fact that where it's like, oh, you're going on a white diet and it's just like, oh, I was... I had a lot of like people that would come to me, yeah, oh, younger, yeah. and they're like, they're like, how is it that you know you're not gonna eat you know like chicken and this and that and and different dishes and and just really getting kind of upset and it it made me feel kind of like I don't know weird about the like whole you weren't thing. doing the right thing kind of or no no I always felt that I was doing the right thing but then I started doing research on a lot of the food where they're like this is our culture you know this is what you know this is what we came from and i was like no it, it actually is not exactly. where we came from mm-hmm. you know it's like a lot of people in the world don't eat meat yeah it's expensive like you were saying and this i got i started to learn from traveling everywhere and there are a lot of places are like no it's a rarity that we ever have meat and but actually steak, in, in yeah. asia before the westerners even came exactly. there it wasn't even in you know in anything actually it you was know? fish yeah, yeah. So it was fish. Mo- only fish until they came in with the idea of like, hey, we got cow, we got beef, you know, it became something very exclu- like very like, oh my God, this is above and beyond. But majority of the world aren't eating as much meat as like Western 
civilizations and, and, and the majority of the world, they can't afford meat. It's not affordable. Well, what I think yeah. is so interesting about what you described, Derek, mm -hmm. especially the research that you undertook on, well, right. what are the origins of my particular cuisine? It, you know, what I've seen as a vegan over the past few years is this growing interest in plant-based food in the black American community. And that makes me feel so like empowered. Like I feel so inspired by that because in many ways, if you think about how the lack of accessible healthcare for the black American community has been such a deathly <laughs> form of oppression right. for the black American community. Yeah. And now you're seeing them saying, no, like, fuck, no, we're taking right. our health back, right. you know? Right. Yeah. And if, if that means we can't get affordable health care, then we'll just start eating better yes. and not have to rely on health care in the United States. We're going to attack it on the front end. And so when I see people like Pinky, you know, for Slutty Vegan mm -hmm. or yeah. Tabitha Brown, who are, you know, not like sitting there being preachy about it, but just saying, yeah. hey, if you want to take ownership of your health because they are trying to take it from you. Let me show you how to do that in a nice, non-threatening, non-judgmental, approachable way. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I see so much power in that. And I think that's so inspiring. And Absolutely. I and I love that story. And I feel like it can be a template for many other immigrant or oppressed communities to say, healthcare, if we think about it, is one of the most dangerous forms of oppression in our country. So what can we do in order to turn it on its head? Well I said. I love that. Man. I mean, shout, shout out to the badass vegan John Lewis for oh, the Trying I love to Kill His yeah. mm -hmm. which that, that was all about. Also, Kevin Hart just opened up a vegan plant-based right. space over it, here in Sepulveda Boulevard. It's great to it's see amazing. that. It's amazing. Because, I mean, it's definitely a change. You know, I, I mean, from growing up and seeing, the, you know, oh, we're creating the soul food and everything. And my father grew up in the South, and he was a cook. And, uh, I, I mean, just I remember all those Southern dishes, you know, like chitlings and things mm -hmm. like that. And I was just, like, disgusted as a kid. <laughs> but I was just like, this is not, you know, like, once I started to do a little bit of history, I was like, this is not our culture, really. I was like, this is a necessity that happened yep. because of, you know, slavery and being in the position where this is what we're left with. You know, this is what you have left to eat, and this is what we're giving you. And so creating these dishes. But it's moved on beyond that, and it's great to see that people are definitely getting around their health, you know, yeah. where there's big changes that are happening that I never – would imagine, you know, because before I got made fun of, mm -hmm. you know, from yeah. all walks of life, not only just, you know, people like, oh, you're a freak, you know, you're not eating this, what's wrong, but also from the black community where I thought, you know, like, hey, we're, you know, we're all in this together. Yeah. And then it was like, oh my God, you're eating like white food and, and just like stupid comments yeah. like that. Yeah. You know? Kale salad. We didn't even have kale salads back then or quinoa. Nobody even talked about that. Early Except for, for my uncle, you know. He, <laughs> <laughs> he was like a hippie and he was just like a freak. Trailblazer. He was just coming. He was vegan. He would come in with this stuff and I was like, this smells funny. You know, <laughs> why are these grains in different bags? You know, what's wow. going on here? And he's just like, oh, but it, it was enticing. You know, it definitely started the the light bulb. Curiosity. You know? Yes, and I, I do think a big positive coming out of the pandemic is people looking in into them, inter, interact themselves with their diets, or their yeah. lifestyles, and health, and oh yeah, and the connections of what you eat can 
can affect the earth and the planet and all that. I think people are way more conscious 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 now mm-hmm. of that. You know what I'm saying? Coming For out sure. of this. Mm-hmm. I, I would think so. I do think that's a really good thing. I think that we have a reckoning in our future though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that there are many people who don't realize the mental health impact of yeah. this kind of isolation. Right. Yes. I didn't. I <laughs> I didn't get COVID for a right. really long time, Toby. You know yeah. that I just recently got the COVIDs. The COVID. And it was like, I know, got, the got the COVIDs <laughs> and it was like horrifying. Like right. I had it for 21 days. And so wow. I had it for an extra long time and my dog had just died. And I then had to go almost immediately into quarantine and isolate myself from human contact for several days. Mm -hmm. And it was like one of the worst things that ever happened to me. Like, I don't want to sound dramatic, but like losing my dog was probably one of the worst things that ever happened to me. And then to have to not be around my husband during that time, it was just so hard. And like, I literally like, told Anthony I was like I think we're gonna get a divorce like I don't know like I'm so emotionally unstable right now and like I don't know how to like get my arms around this like, I'm like texting Toby like sorry I can't do the podcast today and then I'd be like crying into my keyboard <laughs> it was just like a really hard thing and I'm like I don't remember reading the article in the New York Times about this mm-hmm. I don't remember mm-hmm. seeing the study by anyone about the mental health impact of quarantine i remember a friend of mine tweeted that she had to go into quarantine right after giving birth she had to be isolated from her newborn baby i can't even imagine imagine. what she had to go through nobody wrote that story either and this is just you know i think that sure we just continue to just you know shove this under the rug and not talk about it i think that there are going to be consequences to that what those consequences are going to be, I don't know. It remains to be seen. It's it's another pernicious effect of this disease. And younger kids, too. Kids who couldn't go to school. My right, son graduated right. online. Like Absolutely. They need that social when they're young, growing. Well, and I mean, it's it, like people were suffering extremely. And even before that, I mean, the whole lockdown situation, yeah. I, I wanted to write a song, and I did about it. It was called Isolation. It was about prison system and how it's inhumane to have people in isolation. Mm in solitary confinement. And I thought it was disturbing watching all the studies of how it mentally drives you insane. Mm-hmm. And it makes you sicker. You know, the person that's in prison, it's, it's not, it's really a form of torture. Then the whole pandemic happens and everyone's like, oh, you wrote the song about being in confinement and how you can drive you crazy. And I was like, no, it was actually about something else. But maybe people will look at it differently it's now. Yeah. You know, it really is fascinating. It's mm-hmm. like, we shouldn't really be putting people in isolation like that because people need other... That's how we are as a species. I we never need. even thought of that. Either. Oh my God. But that totally makes sense. Yeah. Actually, that's like really important to talk about because I think people are embarrassed. I think people are embarrassed to be like, yeah... It hurt me to be in isolation. Yeah, Yeah, it makes sense that it would hurt. Yeah, like they don't want to be called out as a wussy or whatever. Like, oh, you're so weak because you couldn't handle ten days in isolation. I'm like, yeah, no, it it was horrible. Like I was horrible. I was crying every day. Like I'm not gonna lie. You know, it was awful. (laughs) Yeah, it's heavy, man. Yeah. Hopefully, we're coming out of that and coming into a. I think there is such a thing as too much introspection. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's been a problem. Especially when you talk to people that had to go through isolation, you know, and I I think it hit me when I watched a documentary about a a young boy who who was falsely accused of stealing a backpack of someone and then having to go through the system. I saw that. 
putting him in isolation yeah. and 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 then he ended up getting out going to school and then eventually killing himself oh yeah my God. because it, the impact stayed with them oh, it's you terrible. know yeah it's, terrible. it was terrifying and i was like wow nobody deserves to be tortured in that way yeah anymore. especially a child yeah especially yeah. a young child yeah this podcast took a real yeah, that's, that always happens with the Korean vegan. And you, start, and you started your podcast. Yes. You have like six episodes now? No, I think we have closer to like, we're on episode 21. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, but like the first eight is just me reading out loud because that's oh, why wow. I, I was, I started by accident. I, I did, it wasn't supposed to be a podcast. Really? Yeah, it was just like, I was proofreading my newsletter. I oh. send out a newsletter every week. I was proofreading it and I proofread by reading out loud. And I was like, oh, I wonder if people would appreciate it if I just read it out loud to them so they don't have to sit there and look right. at their phone or read on their computer. Yeah. They could just have it on their AirPods while they're doing the laundry mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever. So I was like, oh, I'll just read it out loud. So literally the first one is toxic productivity. <laughs> Today <laughs> is <like>, literally that. <laughs> <That's so awesome. laughs> do, you, do you like hearing your voice? Does it trip you out? Listen, do you listen back to your stuff? Sometimes I do. I know you don't. I know you're like, I, it's, once it's done, you're, it's done. Do it, yeah. Sometimes I do. I tell myself I need to in order to improve and yeah, to do cool. better. I do get cringy. Like I was listening to tomorrow's today because I was, you know, proofing it essentially. And right. I was like, oh my God, that's <laughs> like, it's so cringy. Like, can people stand my voice right now? So, uh, yeah, I, it's hard sometimes to, to listen to my own voice. But like I said, I'm trying to improve from week to week. It's still so nascent. It's not like you're as fully established and you got like a oh, thing. Are <laughs> you a perfectionist? I'm not as much as my husband who helps with editing things. Like he's like, no, your voice is slightly off there. You should re-record it. And I'm like, no, babe. Like I've literally spent 14 hours on this thing. It's done. I'm yeah. not I'm not doing any more. Mm-hmm. So I'm not like to that point. But there are certain things that I feel need to be well done. My writing needs to be well done. The sound quality needs to be as best as I can make it. Like that's very important to me. And then the music needs to be really good. I spend almost like, I don't know, for a one hour podcast, that means I'm spending like four hours trying to pick out the music and make sure that it fits, you know, where I put it and place it, edit it. Yeah. Are you a pretty uh, harsh critic of yourself? I can be. I can be a harsh critic. I, I will say one of the joys of this podcast was that it's accidental. So it's doing very well right now. Awesome. And, and I didn't expect it or intend it to really. Yeah. You know, So that's very nice and it's gratifying. And, and I think we have a really beautiful product. And I, you know, I'm really gratified when I hear from people. Oh, my God, I've listened to all of your episodes and now I have them on repeat. That always makes me very happy. But at the same time, like from a macro perspective, I have very little space in my life to enjoy success. I give myself maybe like, for example, when when I was on the New York Times bestseller list, I gave myself maybe three hours to really soak it in. And then it was on to the next. You know what I mean? So like it's hard for me to enjoy those moments and be very present for them because my parents yeah, you know, they drove me so much to never sit on my laurels. You always have to be 20 steps ahead of everyone else in order to survive. Wow. Yeah. Are you proud of everything you've done? I'm proud of many of the things I've done. I'm proud of 
you know, my legal career. I'm very proud of that because yeah. it was hard and, yeah. and, and it wasn't easy. And I'm glad that I stuck it out for as long as I did. I'm proud of the fact, as I mentioned, that I left my first husband because that was the hardest thing I ever did. I'm proud of the five marathons that I've run, even yeah. the one that was really, really slow. I'm proud of those things. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, yeah, there are a lot of things that I'm proud of. I don't think when people think like, oh, you must be so proud of your current success in my career. I don't know, like when compared to a marathon, you know, or compared to my divorce, I feel like so much of what has happened to me was by luck, like thing, like my braised potato, like who the heck knows, like why right. that went viral. Yeah. I don't know, I you don't know. know. What would happen if it hadn't happened? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you know, I don't yeah. know, like where is so, Yeah, so yeah. like a lot of things that have happened to me, like I do attribute to TikTok, you know, and I remain so grateful to them. Change. I tell them all the time, like you, you changed my life, you know. Wow. And it's the same thing with you YouTube. Talk to TikTok? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I tell them TikTok all the time, like you guys have changed my life. Like I literally would not be here for you, without you, and and they know that. Like they had me as their keynote at VidCon, like. Like they love oh, my wow. story. Okay. Yeah. So like I am very grateful to the people around me. I It's hard for me to take that much credit over those types of things. Yeah. You have any regrets? Yeah. I talked about this earlier in, in, in one of my podcast episodes, the one about not having kids. I call oh, it, yeah, you know, right. FOMO oh, and, and not having children and this fear of missing out. FOMO, <laughs> I don't have children. Have right here. <laughs> We're looking mm-hmm. at Toby's mm-hmm. notes for the record. For the record. <laughs> right there. Um, so yeah, that's your regret? Okay. I mean, I don't know that I regret it. It's like regret is such a black and white concept, yeah. but most of life isn't like that. I mean, I think there are things in your life that you might say, Maybe I would have done things a little differently. I don't know. It's really easy to think that, but in that decision space, like you don't know whether you would have done things differently if given a second chance. Mm -hmm. And I feel the same way about my choices. I do think that when push comes to shove, I do regret not listening to my parents when they told me not to get married. Like I think Mm -hmm. about that moment Mm -hmm. so much and it, it, was around food. My parents, they made me a huge bowl of takuk, which is a Korean dumpling rice cake soup. And it was New Year's Day. That's what we eat on New Year's Day is takuk. And my mom made me this huge bowl. And she knows, like, I love takuk. So, like, I was so excited to eat her takuk. And she passes me this bowl. And then with it, she, like, slides across the table this big envelope, like those birthday cards, Hallmark birthday cards. I'm like, oh, I'm getting money this year <laughs> yeah. for New Year's, which is a tr- you know Korean yeah. tradition, but one we had dispensed with many years ago so I open the envelope and I'm so excited and I start reading it and it's a letter from my mom and my dad basically saying we think he's the wrong man please please reconsider marrying him and I just remember getting so mad like how dare you question my love you're not you know I'm not a child anymore and I didn't eat any takuk and I stormed out of my parents house I was so mad and I and I remember saying over and over again love is enough that's all you need because even then I knew like yeah we got some issues you know but I wasn't willing to grapple with them so yeah I think about that moment if somebody had like if I had to answer like I probably should have had some of that takuk that day and maybe mm. been a little bit more open to my mom and my dad. Wow. Yeah. But then maybe you wouldn't be here. Right? That's I, sure, Yeah, that's exactly man, right. Sure, I don't right. know that I would have met Anthony right. and, yeah. you know, Anthony's the love of my life. So I just, I don't know that I would have met him, yeah. you know, like if I had been free at that time, right. you know? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. How much, how much uh, do you run a week? 
right now I'm not running very much because of COVID. I'm still recovering from that. So I think this week I'm running like 19 miles, which is not pretty good. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) pretty. 19 more than Uh, mine. Yeah. That's awesome. It's not a lot. And then you can see yourself an optimist or pessimist. You seem so positive. Honestly, I'm probably more of a pessimist than an optimist. Wow. Yeah. I, yeah. I think Anthony is an optimist, which is why he's a great balance That's to me, hard. you know. But for me, I'm always like kind of a downer. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get that vibe from her. Right? I know. I know. Like, you get that vibe uh, from her? No, but I'm, I, I, can, I, can, I can understand listening to stories about your mother. Yeah. And, and yeah. just, and yeah, I mean, yeah, I think there's a side to me that many people don't get to see mm. on social media, which is very sarcastic, very mm, like kind of wry and dry. Like I'm very like, oh, you know, like my sense of humor is not what people would anticipate. Okay. Right. And so I think that part of me speaks to sort of my default setting, which is to look down instead of up. But I also understand how dangerous despair can be because I've grappled with that in my life and I know that of all things despair is the thing that is most horrible because right. it will lead to the end of your life yes. and so I know how dangerous that is so I'm always muscling to turn that arrow up you know that's and good. that is yeah. that is the yeah. struggle of my life and and I think that's a good struggle right yeah and you just got the uh, congrats on the Global Impact Award at Mercy Fan Awards. Yeah. I saw that. Oh, oh, the other day nice, that. Yeah. Nice. That was such a congrats, w- surreal congrats. moment. So obviously you knew you'd get that when you go there? Yes, yeah. I did. Oh. It, it was great to know <laughs> that in advance. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you uh-huh. have a speech and stuff. And yeah, I prepared oh, wow. a two-minute speech. And it's funny you mentioned that because I... I, you know, getting the New York Times bestseller, bestseller and then winning the James Beard, those were from sectors that don't care whether you're a vegan or not, right? It's part of the story, yeah. but it's, right. you know, not a requirement, right? right, right. But like Mercy for, Ga- uh, Mercy for Animals Gala, I, I just remember like as I was standing there to accept the reward, there was just this weird moment where I felt like I have finally arrived where I think God always wanted me to be. I think God always made me love animals like my whole life. And for a long part of my life, I just denied it. And I was like, no, I, I need to eat bacon. Or <laughs> like, you know, I'm sorry, but I have to eat carby. Sorry, sorry. You know, and so like finally being there on that stage, I was able to just say, I love animals so much. And now I don't eat them. And it makes Beautiful. me feel so great. Like I just felt so happy about that. And it's nice to be able to stand in your space and feel like no adjustments need be made any longer. I'm mm-hmm. where I was meant to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, were you nervous? Of course I was nervous. I'm so, I was afraid that I would forget my speech or lose my voice, which has happened to me. Like when I get really nervous, especially when I was performing a lot when I was in high school and college for like a recital or something, if I would get nervous, my voice would disappear. 
<laughs> or wow. one time I was singing a duet with somebody and I was so nervous. I just started laughing hysterically in the <laughs> middle of the song. I felt so bad for him. He's sitting there oh, continuing no. to sing and I'm just laughing in his face. <laughs> what, what song was it? Something we know now. I, it was some musical. It was a Broadway musical. Wow. Like I, I think it was from Sun and Moon. I'd probably start laughing too. It was so bad. My parents were mortified. They wanted to literally melt into the floor. It was awful. I felt so bad. Um, So what's next for you? So a new book? Yes. Working on the book right now, that's going to take up a lot of my time. We're going to be... Is it going to be the same concept? Yeah. It's slightly different. The first book is largely a collection of stories about my family and mm-hmm. their you know, movement from North Korea to South Korea to the United States and, and kind of that experience, which I think many people were very interested in. Mm-hmm. This second book is going to be much more about my memoir. So my childhood and, you know, some of the things that I've grappled with as a young adult and then certainly in my later life. And so each chapter will focus on, you know, a certain time in my life, whether it's, or a certain aspect of my identity. For example, I'm now an aunt, as we talked about. So there will be an entire chapter about food for kids and what it's like to nurture children on a plant-based diet and things like that. So that will be really fun to make. Be helpful for a lot of I think so, yeah. Absolutely. That's the main concern of a lot of people. Yes, for sure. Yeah, I mean, like fun, delicious Mm -hmm. food that I I, I know how challenging it can be to feed younger. Oh, (laughs) yeah, especially since there's so much propaganda from the bad food. Oh yeah. Like what's there. bad and you what's know? good. Yeah, yeah for sure. Completely Especially like the school brainwash. And the food that's yeah. available at schools is horrendous. Horrendous. Is. Especially in this Processed, country. Processed, crazy, yeah. bad, but they have so much money in the advertisement that it's hard mm. to oh, I mean, yeah. battle. The kid sees this stuff and they're like, oh my God. Yeah, they don't that. care. Like yeah. they don't care. Like, no. oh, this is unethical or whatever. But it's geared towards kids. Of that's course. what makes it so like. Scary. Yeah. It yeah, is. Yeah. It is. What about the vegan school? There's a vegan school out in Calabasas by that director who did. Um, oh, yeah. That's right. right? By the director. Uh, James uh, Cameron. Yes. Yeah. 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 Vegan school. Yeah. Man. That's excellent. I yeah. think there is some hope. <laughs> the more Cory Bookers and things Corey like Booker. that that continue to raise their profiles in politics. There is some hope that we'll get more regulation on the books that are geared towards feeding our children in a way that's intentional. I'm not necessarily saying plant-based or vegan, but at least like better than what's out there right now. I think that that will inevitably lead to more vegetable plant forward food, you know, because that is just medically what's better for children anyway. So I think that's a good thing. And my hope is that we'll see more of that. But yeah, that school in Calabasas is like a really good sort of blueprint for other schools. Obviously, you know, financially there needs to be some support from our government. Yes. And that does remain a challenge. Very true. Because I'm not even sure how it's a private school, if that's an expensive right. school out there, and everybody lives in Calabasas, like more options like that yeah. all around the country. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's different options. It's a different world now. There are people who are working on that, and that's, again, something that helps me to move the arrow from the down position to the up. <laughs> <laughs> so the Korean Vegan is your Instagram. That's your website. Uh, that's, same, that's your podcast. Yeah, it's it's the Korean Vegan everywhere, literally. Twitter, Snapchat, Twitter, um TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. Oh, website. YouTube too, yeah, as well, yeah. Yeah, YouTube is a big part of, of our business plan. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. you guys should get on YouTube. 
Are you talk on YouTube? about it. I no, oh, but yeah, I, I was yeah. thinking about it in many different ways. It is yeah. the most yeah. lucrative form of social media content creation. They are a true business partner. You should get on it. Ooh, and TikTok Ooh. too. That's a good and one. The TikToks. Yeah. TikTok will get you brand recognition and PR. That's mm-hmm. really important. Part of any business's strategy. But if you want a real partner to your business, mm-hmm. somebody who will literally split the ad revenue basically 50-50 with you, then that's just YouTube. Wow. That's good to know. I, really I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Are you learning more and more about social media that you, you got to dial in right now, algorithms and all that stuff? Oh, yeah. I'm learning a lot about that. I got to spend some time with YouTube you know, folks the past week, and it was incredible, and it was very eye-opening. And wow. it's really nice to know that there are a bunch of people out there who've been doing it in a way that's accretive and thoughtful and that awards good behavior. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it's, it's really nice. Yeah. So that'd be like the number one platform you think as far as like... Again, yeah. it depends on what you're going for. If right. you want to be famous and you want to be a movie star, then I don't know. Ew. Like then, then it's like ew. You know, there's some people that <laughs> work hard and start taking acting uh-huh. classes. I mean, there's there's some people who who that's what they want, and then yeah. that's yeah. TikTok yeah. is probably better for you if that's what you want. If you're a small business and you are an entrepreneur, then I think that YouTube is probably better for you in, in that way. So it really depends on what you're going for, right. and. I think that the fact that there are options out there is great. I do think you have to be careful about social media. I know there are a lot of people out there who are ready to just destroy social media and just burn it all to the ground. And I understand that instinct, <laughs> right. certainly. Yeah, yeah. You know, but I think that there can be a lot of good that comes from it as well. Yeah, I think so too, man. Yeah. I don't know. Where would we have been during COVID isolation without social media? I just. It's crazy because before that, they were saying that social media was making people not hang out and have conversations. Everybody's yes. on the phones all day. True. People are not hanging Which out. Which was true. People can look yeah. on there and say, oh, <laughs> Toby's on tour. I need to text him and check in with him. How, how, but how do you know how I'm doing mentally? I could be on tour, but how do you know how I'm doing? You see that I'm doing that, right? Yes. And I feel like the pandemic, it, the social media became such a positive connection for people in the whole entire world to be all connected. We all shut down together. Yeah. It, I felt like that was such a, a powerful thing in a positive way. I That's, thought it's you're you're correct. But then there was politics every single day, like Trump, Trump, Trump. Trump. Yeah, every there's, day. There, there was, was that, the, like oh there's a good and a bad. Yeah, yeah, there's the good and the bad. It was over the top. Right, of those two years of that, that was like, definitely like the, positive, the good negative. and the bad. But there was yeah. But we were connected. I felt like the world was really connected through that. Do you remember those videos from Italy? Yes. where the violinists would get out on their patio yeah. and like so the emo. whole, like seriously, I would cry. Me too, man. I mean, that's what social media can do. Right. I mean, just cause we wouldn't, we weren't in Italy, so nah. we wouldn't have seen that. But like that fed us during mm-hmm. those right. days, so you know, no, without, so without powerful. And they tried that in New York too. Everybody. Yeah. All yeah. Out the yeah. yeah. I mean, there's something galvanizing and it shouldn't be kind of, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater kind of idea. Right. You know, that that's sort of like my very premature thoughts on it because I've been thinking about social media and its role a lot and, and I don't want to dismiss that there are some very dangerous things about it, but there's also a lot of good that comes from it. Certainly, no, we would. No I don't doubt. know that we would have been friends if it were for yeah. social media. <laughs> you spend a lot of time. Like, you ever check your hours on your phone? Like, no, I don't. Like, th- to me, that's like it's my job. 
Right. You know, so I, I mean, I, I do think that like many entrepreneurs, I have fallen into that trap where I basically don't take any days off. I'm working around the clock all the time because it's hard for me to draw boundaries around something that also provides me a lot of entertainment and joy. You know, I'm like, OK, this is my job, but it's so fun. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. so it is a little hard sometimes. I think with the podcast, now that we have invested so heavily in it, I've been learning more like however fulfilling this is for you and you may feel the same way like it is important to say okay we, we got to press the stop button now like you need to just remove yourself from the studio and go sit down and watch TV for a couple hours eat some good food and go to bed Deep yeah press. I know yeah like you have things that need to get done but I'm sorry they're just gonna have to wait for you until tomorrow yeah do you, do you sleep a lot you, you late night person I don't like to stay up late at night because I'm, I'm a runner and, and I usually have to run first thing in the morning. And I've known that if I don't get a good, yeah. you know, solid amount of sleep, my running suffers from that. What's solid for you? Six hours, seven hours? Eight hours. Okay, good, like, good, yeah, good. Eight, I want eight hours optimally, seven hours minimum. Okay. But these days I've been having a lot of trouble sleeping. I think because I'm like always thinking about the podcast and I'm thinking about yeah. like, what am I going to write? Yeah, your mind is constantly working. And so... It's hard to shut that off. It really is. I was actually thinking... Is it, talking about social media and addiction but i was thinking of starting a new vlog called the inner dialogue <laughs> where i literally just say out loud what's on my mind <laughs> that'd be incredible <laughs> i'm like you know like brushing my teeth and i'm like thinking like man i really need to start flossing more <laughs> why don't i start flossing more i don't like floss <laughs> I mean, like, that's really put it out there but that's really amazing you know because like i was just like my inner dialogue is like really non-stop <laughs> It's like, it's like like the last thing you probably do is your phone. The first thing you probably do is see your phone. It's exactly right. right. It's hard to like shut it off and then turn it off. You know what I mean? Like yeah. mine's completely off during the night. Yeah. Moon leaves are on for a vibration to wake up in the morning, whatever, or like if my son's out, but like And that's why I like this podcast, just having conversations face to face. Yeah. Well, I love that it's face to face. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. Just it's just you get my get way more, you know? For any, sure. Any more questions for this lovely woman? Uh yeah, I'm sure there are. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm I'm really impressed. You know, this is the the first time, you know, hearing about everything that you've been doing, and I, I think it's incredible. You know, I'm I'm looking forward to trying to make some of these dishes. Yeah, and uh, I think you should give yourself definitely more credit than one hundred percent for sure. You 100%. know, have that celebratory dinner for being on the New York Times list. You know, it's okay to be like, I did well. Yeah. I am. Yeah. You know, like I had to learn. Some in some respect to do that, you know, where I like, you know what? I do deserve this. I worked hard, yeah. you know, and I heard this from one musician that I said to him when he got off stage. I was like, you guys are so good. And he was like, I know. <laughs> Dang. And I was like, and he was just so I was like, I love that. And he was just like, I know we rocked. That's amazing. And I was like, it was amazing. I was like, fuck, you did. <laughs> you know, it's I'm not going to argue, but he felt good. He felt good about it. And he had no problem saying it. He felt comfortable and everything. You can still be humble and, and yeah, appreciate exactly. and be proud yeah. and know that you worked yes. hard for something. Yeah, like absolutely. And, and right. I was like, yo, I get that. And he was like, he was like, I usually, when I have great shows and people are like, hey, you know, you were great tonight. He's like, yeah, I know. It was, I know. It was. <laughs> that is one silver lining to the negative comments and to people trying to take me down is yeah. it forces me to say no. Like, I deserve to be here. You move, Damn you know? So, straight. well, that's also part of yes. your success and part of everything you've done. And where you're at on social media and where you're at in your life, that no matter what you do, it's not going to be 
good enough for anybody. Or like, you know totally. what I mean? There's always going to be opinions. And th- always. When people are talking about <laughs> you good or bad, that actually means you're doing something good. You're yep. doing, and you're living your best exactly. life. And you're oh, yeah. inspiring people and you're happy. And you know what I mean? I am oh, yeah. very happy to be here. Yeah. <laughs> I love this. It's amazing. <laughs> Your voice is so soothing. It's great. It's great voice. <laughs> so. Definitely. Well, I, considering the caliber of the people that you've had in this very kitchen, oh, yeah. I feel very yeah. honored to be included. And I'm, I'm so excited to meet you. I'm glad that you yeah. like my voice. <laughs> I love your voice, but I love your journey too. And it's, yeah, it's I met you then. Great journey. Obviously, I followed you since then and watched all the stuff you're doing, but just to hear your story and just how you were raised, just everything, where you're at now, it's like, Awesome. We didn't even talk about punk rock, which I don't even know. What do you know about punk? What do you know? So my first (laughs) husband was a skater. Uh, He was a skater? Yeah, he was a skater and he was a drummer. Oh and my so, God. You know, is there a band you're going to tell us? So the two bands that I w- had to listen to <laughs> secondhand was No Effects and Pavement. That was two <laughs> randoms. Really? <laughs> totally. No yeah. Effects. That's cool though. Wow. Yeah. So wow. there was a, like we were listening to H2O, H2O on the way here. What? And oh, of course. I've heard of them. <laughs> yeah, I heard of them too. <laughs> and we were listening to them and I was like, oh man, this brings me back to those days like very much and... I remember because I'm, you know, I grew up a classically trained yeah. musician. I played violin, Simon piano. Garfunkel. Yeah, Garfunkel, exactly. <laughs> so at the time when my ex-husband was trying to introduce me to this kind of music, at first I was like, no, I don't like this kind of music. But right. ultimately, because I loved him, I wanted to learn a little bit more about its structure mm-hmm. and its underpinnings and the poetry of it, right? And it it became it kind of grew on me. Like there was something so whimsical and romantic about it, and it was very nostalgic too. Mm-hmm. And I liked that it was so raw. It was yeah. raw, but it was also structured. Like it is w- one of the more structured kinds of music because of the rhythm. And you know, because my wow. ex husband right. was a, a drummer, like I uh, understood like the the beat ha- had to right. be very very crisp and precise right. for it to be successful, right? And so there was something about it that I found kind of hypnotically nostalgic and I really did come to enjoy it. Now, obviously, I didn't continue listening to it after my divorce. (laughs) (laughs) But but yeah, listening to it today, I was like, you know, there's a lot to be um, appreciated in this kind of music. Wow, thank you. I love how you like... You're you're down for your dude. Like I'm gonna check out punk. I don't like it. I'm gonna try to be vegan. I'm gonna go vegan for Anthony. I love that. Yeah, like, you're yeah. Like, you're like that's really. Awesome. It can be it can yeah. be bad, but it can also be good. No, yeah. no. But I mean, you're in a relationship. Ride you're die. in a relationship. Yeah. yeah. Well, die. I mean, exactly. obviously, like exactly. Like I didn't yeah. want to be like a snob about it to the right. man I loved. You know? Right. Right. So. Right. So you've been to punk shows back then? No, I didn't go to any <laughs> punk shows. No, I, I, I you're like, nah, 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 I was very, I, I have to say, like, I was very attracted to skaters. Like, that was the thing. And that was why I was so attracted to my first husband was because, you know, he wore, what, the pipes? Is that what they were called? I don't know what they were called in New York City. Pants? No, they're the the big baggy pants. Oh, okay. oh that was yeah, that time then. Yeah. yeah. And then he had, he had the Adidas, like, skater shoes. The tattoos? And, he did not have to wear Korean. No, he did not have tattoos. Okay. But you have uh, tattoos. I do now. <laughs> I have eight tattoos. <laughs> How many? Eight. Oh, so I was, so that's not a Korean. Th- no, no. no I, par- my parents actually. Really I remember. Bad. I remember being in South Korea, and it was like in the gym, and I had like it yeah. banked up on there, like. Uh, can you put this shirt? I was, like, <laughs> I was like, I'm not putting that damn long sleeve Japan shirt on. Japan for me too. Japan too. 
but Yakuza the, neighborhood. Right. Yeah. But even Korea, I was like, yo, I was like, mm. tattoos means that you're a criminal yeah. in Korea. So like, I or like, like, I got it. Yeah, you can't <laughs> like my my mom was so mad, I but imagine. she couldn't say much because the first tattoo I got was her design. She didn't know I tricked uh, her. I was uh, like, I need some art for my office. So can you do something like kind of pretty? And she put like all these options together. And I was Good like, move. thanks. And I brought him to the tattoo artist. And Another question. Yeah. Sorry. Mm -hmm. I just I didn't want to forget just because I I don't know if there's a I don't think it's a dumb question, but I don't know anything about um, Korean cuisine so korean barbecue was this something that was always in korea or was it something that was made up in america great question i you know that's a really good question and i don't know but my i would hazard a guess that like all meat consumption that i've been aware of it came during the korean war so right. when the united states came to korea in the 50s for the war that's when korean people started to eat a lot more meat yes now that said, it's very possible that, you know, the marinade that, you know, you put the Korean barbecue in existed before that time. And mm -hmm. people were eating like maybe like very wealthy, you know, people right. or yeah. like, you right. know, because prior to that time, prior to Korea's democracy, we were living in an empire. Right. right. So it's very possible like in the royal castles and, and temples and stuff like that, that they were eating something very similar to what we now think of as Korean barbecue. But I don't think the idea called barbecue like existed prior to the United States. And certainly some of the other yeah. things like spam right. obviously didn't like that was not part of our vocabulary until <laughs> the United States came for the war. <laughs> what about a Korean, what about a Korean vegan restaurant? I wish that there were more Korean vegan restaurants. There are a couple in New York. I know there's one in New York City called Hungawi, which is okay. It's not not like the best, but it's not bad either. And there are certainly restaurants in LA that cater to Korean diets so that they have Korean options. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm not aware of a Korean vegan restaurant. For my own sake, I've literally thought about just like opening a restaurant. That's what right. Really yeah. Because yeah. uh, I mean, I'm just like, that was why I started the Korean Vegan. That's mm -hmm. why I wrote this book because yeah. there was an emptiness and it wasn't like, oh, I want to give people something. Mm -hmm. I was like, no, I need it. Like, I yeah. need Korean mm -hmm. Vegan recipes. And it would be great if there was a book, but there isn't one. So I'll just make one. Awesome. And now it's like kind of thinking like, there just isn't a Korean vegan restaurant out there. And so we have been thinking about creating sort of like a Korean vegan Chipotle, mm, which is wow. like, yeah, just like, okay, you can mm -hmm. choose brown rice, you can choose white rice, mm -hmm. or you can choose noodles, like, a, you know, like tangmyeon, which is a gluten-free noodle. And then, you know, a bunch of pickled vegetables like kimchi and other panchan, which is the side dishes in Korea. And then like proteins like, you know, braised tofu yeah. or, uh, you know, there's so many different proteins that I use in my cooking that are very easy in order to turn it into like a chipotle. So as like I've been thinking about a lot and I That'd think it would do well, like because a lot of people don't care if it's vegan or not vegan, they just want right. delicious food that's easy and convenient. Yeah. I mean, even when I was just in Brazil, there was a place that I went to and they don't put anything labeled plant-based or vegan. Wow. And it was madly successful. Yeah. Mm. I mean, tasty food. Just I delicious food. Great idea. Delicious, fast, healthy, yes. nutritious. Could people come I, at you and say, I want my money back. I didn't know it was vegan. 
I never. Well, I, I, you, sir, I was asking the people easy. there that were running it, and and, and I, I don't I, think so from oh, a no. legal perspective. No, really? Really? <laughs> yeah, right. like unless you advertised it as something else, like okay. this right. is chicken and it's not, then sure, yeah, they would have a, a claim against you. But mm. subject to that, I can't think of a, a way that they would ask. Now, from a business perspective, maybe you want to, maybe you don't. I don't know. I yeah. wouldn't, you know. But I think that would be a cool, like, I would eat there, like, all the time. Like, right. I would be their best customer. Right. Now I'm like, someone's going to steal this idea, and they're going to make it, and I'm going to be annoyed. <laughs> your, your own spot. I think it would be amazing. I, yeah. I've been thinking about it. We're working on it. It would be really, really cool to do that, and I think a lot of people would enjoy it. I think, and I think I would be good at it, you know? Yeah. Like, speaking of, like, what are you good at? This is what I'm good at. Well, making, we're, good at yeah. we're definitely good at tasting, so I know yeah, Toby sure. and I would definitely love to be there I for will, the tasting. One day, I will cook for you both. <laughs> Oh, it will, yeah. We will make it happen. It will be delicious. One, one, but one restaurant in Chicago, one in L.A. Yeah. I, I would want one all over the country. Yes. I mean, like mm-hmm. a Chipotle situation mm-hmm. where just people change. can walk in. Where people can actually, let's say, I want to open one in my city. Yeah. So you give them the right. Like something, something like that. Easy. We could franchise that. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm not sure. But like the way I see it is Korean food is so good. Vegan gluten-free is here to stay, whether people like it or not. Yeah. You know, and like let's do it and I know how to do it I know right. how to make vegan yeah, Korean free food yeah. Yeah. I never tried it I'd love to really yeah I never oh my gosh have you oh, I gotta yeah. fix that okay yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm gonna tell you how to do that yes yeah. mm-hmm. I never had it no wow I would love to have it from you that'd be, be, that'd be amazing yeah, yes I would, I, I would definitely love that well I appreciate you being here and I appreciate sharing your journey and this is a long time overdue since we met and yeah appreciate you listening to the pod and we talk about it and awesome well, i yeah. appreciate you putting the pod together i i know it was for an incredibly heartwarming cause and the work that you're doing and it's really nice i love hearing that you're kind of an emo guy notwithstanding i think i'm too emo for punk rock and hardcore no songs. i think no, but no, i think no, it no. actually makes a lot of sense yeah. i think it makes a lot of sense Definitely. don't let the tattoos fool you yeah don't let the tattoos <laughs> you're right i sang in coldplay don't we all? Yeah. yeah. But not because of success. Because <laughs> no, no. I mean, because I they got a great Sometimes show. I feel like I'm too sensitive. I'm, I'm not tough enough or this enough for hardcore. Do you know what I mean? Ah, uh, that's bullshit. I think there's a lot of emotion. about emotion. Yeah. I th- exactly. I think yeah. a lot of your music is incredibly emotional. It just takes a discerning ear to actually hear it. Mm. And that's a good thing. I mean, open I, we mind, could, we could open say mind. all music's emotional, too, because it comes from a real That's place. very Absolutely. true. Absolutely. Like, yes. You're emotional, Sepultura. Can you get that? Sorry. You're emotional. Metallica's emotional. Yes. Matter, no, you know no, you're right. Like, you're right. I think I'm, good music good is, music is emotional. emotional. Yes. There is bad music out do there. Do you like Coldplay? I do. I, like I said, I'm not very familiar with pop music. You better say yes, Toby. <laughs> I have listened to them, but only because of So You Think You Can Dance. Are you serious? It's because of that. I watched. I love so you think you can dance, and they often use Coldplay's music for that, and that's how I was introduced to well, Coldplay's I think it's music. Cool. My son's finding music from fifteen-second TikTok videos now. You never know, and I love that. Like a lot of times when I hear music nowadays, I'm like, oh, that's a TikTok song. That's and where that's, you know it came from. Yeah, and that's great. Like, who cares? Like, however you're introduced to it, as long as you have the ear and the heart to appreciate it, I think that's the most important thing. I love that. I feel like I could talk to you for hours, man, but I really appreciate you being there. Yay. Anthony, for being here, too, just chilling out, and uh, we'll do a part two someday when we have a new book come out. Yes, and all that. yes, and I will cook for you before uh, yeah. part two comes yeah, out. Yeah, we're going to do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so the Korean Vegan, you can find it everywhere on the interweb. 
so awesome. Right. I'm so stoked. I'm glad you could be to meet I'm, her. I'm, yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you for. I know. I so said you have to come in to meet her. I knew you guys would. Have, don't yeah. don't leave me Lee, hanging. You're bro. leaving in the morning. Derek, Jesus. you're great. You're always great to have on the pod. Love your questions and your voice and your face. I'm already so hungry great. just looking at the I cover. Know, man. Max, like, don't be all loud. The podcast isn't over yet. Okay. <laughs> Max, you, you, you want to say anything, Max? You're good. Hey, Max. He's got. He's gonna be late for work. So. Oh, you are. You have to go to work right now. I want to go to Nick's on Beverly right now too. I'm starving. Max works at Nick's on Beverly. I know. Max, tell me I always ask my guests if they have any regrets. Eight, eight minutes. I personally don't have. Okay, any we're signing off. Okay. Right, goodbye. <laughs> when it comes to my tattoos, I have the silliest tattoos. Even my ET on my leg, it's still a childhood memory for me, and I love it. I've had tattoos on top of tattoos strictly because I wanted more tattoos. I started getting tattoos when I was 18. I'm 52 now, and I can't stop. I've had lazy treatment before on something on my arm. It's four tattoos on top of each other. And that experience at that place was pretty fast. It was pretty cold. It was in and out. Swiped the credit card. Don't really tell me much. Didn't give me much details or anything was going to happen. So I never went back. So as of most recently, I'm so lucky enough to have had two sessions at Removery Tattoo Removal. My tattoo on my arm that looks like a big black blob is now super light. I've had two sessions. I have a long road ahead of me. None of this stuff happens overnight. You cannot take a tattoo up in one sitting. You have to be patient. And it's painful. They ice you up. It's super fast. To me, it felt like a bunch of rubber bands. But what's more painful than that is looking at something on your body that you think you're stuck with for the rest of your life. That sucks. But now for me, I'm really happy I started this journey. I'm slowly going to get this tattoo removed. I never thought in a million years I have any kind of real estate on my arm. I don't even know what I want, but it's exciting. I'm so honored to announce that One Life, One Chance podcast is now with Removery. I have a code. Use TobyH20 and get $100 off your first session. Call 866-934-4570 or go to removery.com. One of the most experienced tattoo remover companies in the world. Over 600,000 removal treatments done. 100 locations. U.S., Canada, and Australia. State-of-the-art peak-away laser technology. Cryotechnology to reduce any discomfort. This is so exciting for me because all I do on these podcasts is talk about tattoos. From day one, if you've been listening to this podcast, we talk about tattoos, talk about getting removed, talk about getting covered up. So this is such a perfect fit for me. Once again, go to removery.com or call 866-934-4570. Use my code TOBYH20 and get $100 off. These guys are located everywhere. Try it out. Yo, people always ask me what kind of frames I'm rocking. I've been rocking Caddis for a couple years. They make amazing progressive readers, which I wear. Also, they make sunglass readers, anti-glare, anti-smudge coating, anti-scratch it, anti-aging. That's why I look mad young when I wear them. I'm just kidding. Um, but they make amazing frames. Caddis, so stoked to have you guys part of the podcast. You can go to caddislife.com slash Toby10 and get $10 off your first purchase. Stoked. Thank you, Caddis. Welcome to the fam.